What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mayalari. So tonight, it's a very special episode. I'm going to do what I usually do. I'll break down everything in the world of sports from the MAC Football Conference, the Mid-American Football Conference, the last weekly maxion of the year, midweek maxion, uh, is tonight. Uh, there's some games on Friday as well, but the last one that I'm in the studio for uh, will be tonight. I'll talk about that. I'll talk about the Celtics, talk about the Clippers, talk a little NBA, talk about the UMaine basketball, a little BC basketball, talk some BC football as well. Uh, and then I'll talk about the Patriots and the Jets. Uh, and then I will have a friend coming on, my good friend Peter Amara. He runs his own uh, music website where he talks a lot about local Boston artists and New England artists in general uh, and gives them a nice uh, platform to talk about their music and talk about themselves and their career, which is great. Uh, so he's going to come on midway through, probably around 7.20. He's going to come on and talk about that, talk about Northeastern hockey, and then maybe even some 49ers talk. He's a Jimmy G and a 49ers fan, so we would talk about that. But a uh, really good friend of mine, big Northeastern hockey fan as well. I consider him to be the biggest Northeastern hockey fan, so I call him the NU Super fan. So excited to have him on tonight. Uh, this will be the first time he's on the show. This will be his debut. Excited to give him a chance to come on and talk some Northeastern hockey. It's going to be a blast. Uh, so besides that, uh, I'll also talk about a little bit about the World Cup, talk about the Bruins as well, uh, and maybe even some talk about the Niners with him as well. So there's a lot to talk about, obviously, tonight, especially considering I haven't done a live episode now in uh, six days. There's obviously a lot going on uh, in the world of sports. So uh, excited to have this chance right now. It's my last episode before uh, Thanksgiving break. Won't be in tomorrow for uh, the playbook with Joey and Zach. Zach's going home today. I'll be going home tomorrow or tonight. So this will be uh, my episode of the week. Uh, maybe I'll do a podcast episode at some point, but this will be my live radio show. So to start off, I'll start off with the Celtics, currently the number one seed in the East with a 13-4 record. They have a 9-1 record in their last 10 games. They did have a tough loss last night to the Chicago Bulls on the road, 121-107, to losing by 14 to the Bulls, as I said, on the road. Tatum, 9 of 19 from the floor with 28 points, 11 rebounds, and 7 assists. Al Horford, brutal night from the floor, 0 of 9 from the field, 0 of 7 from 3. Did give you 5 rebounds, 2 steals, and 2 blocks, but any night you have a guy go 0 of 9 from the floor, you're not going to win many nights. Uh, and then Jalen Brown, 25 points off 9 of 20 shooting. Uh, not the best shooting night for him, but you'll take the 25 points. As for the Bulls, they caught fire from 3 and just stayed hot. 14 of 29 from 3 for a 48.3% three-point percentage in the game. DeMar DeRozan added 28 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, and a steal. He had a great season last year, continuing it this year as well. Very good player. The Celtics' next game will be tomorrow at home at 7.30 at the TD Garden versus the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks 9-7 on the year, 1-4 record on the road. So hopefully that goes to 1-5 on the road. The Celtics get a win tomorrow. Luka Doncic has had an incredible season for the Mavs. 33.5 points per game he's averaging with a 49.4% field goal percentage, 9.1 rebounds per game, and averaging 8.1 assists per game. So a great year so far for Doncic, and uh, it should be a high-powered matchup tomorrow at the TD Garden. As for the Clippers, now I'm going to talk about them for a minute. They're starting to find their stride at the right time. Uh, even though they do still have some injuries, Paul George uh, has been a little banged up. Luke Kennard's been injured as well. They're starting to find their stride at the right time. Right now, the Clippers uh, have a 11-7 record. Excuse me, I was going to say they have a 2-4 record to start the year. They started 2-4 in the four, uh, first six games. But if you look at it, 2-4 start, now 9-3 since the first six games of the year. So overall, holding an 11-7 record on the year, which is pretty impressive considering they started the 2-4, as I said. Reggie Jackson has been incredible the last three games for BC basketball uh, legend, former Boston College Eagle. Reggie Jackson has been great for the Clippers in the last three games. 27 points, 4 assists, 2 rebounds, and a 50% field goal percentage last night against the Jazz. 
In his prior two games before last night, 20 points, four assists, three rebounds, and a 73% field goal percentage. And then 23 points, three assists, three rebounds, and a 58% field goal percentage in his third to last game. So very impressive three-game run for Reggie. And the Clips needed at this time, especially considering Paul George isn't banged up. You're not getting full minutes out of Kawhi Leonard. They need another consistent scorer. And to have Reggie Jackson put up 27 points a night or 20 points a night, 20-plus points, uh, that's very impressive and well-needed for that Clippers team. John Wall has been very impressive as of late. Hit a big, huge half-court shot last night uh, for the Clippers at uh, the buzzer at halftime on the year. Uh, having a good season. Obviously, you're not going to get the 20 points out of him he once got, but overall, you'll take what you're getting out of him. And I think at the end of the day, the Clippers just need another point guard behind Reggie Jackson. If you're getting 11.7 points per game, 5.9 assists, and 2.8 rebounds with a 1.1 steal per game average and a 43% field percentage that you're getting out of John Wall right now, you'll take that any night. Uh, and that's what the Clippers are getting, a little bit more scoring off the bench, which helps a backup point guard as well. Uh, so when Reggie needs a break, you have a guy that comes in like John Wall that can change the pace of the game, especially considering he's still a jet. He's still really fast, still loves doing his behind-the-back uh, pass that he does to you know cut across the defender, goes behind his back and then passes it, sometimes even takes it to the rim uh, off of that. Uh, he's still very good with his uh, ball handling skills. And he had 15 assists on Saturday night. The first Clipper to have 15-plus assists in a game since Chris Paul. So very impressive stat there. As for the Clippers, as I said, they started at 2-4, and 9-3 and three since that stretch. They now have won four of their last five games, are 6-2 and two in their last eight games, with one of the losses to the Mavericks by two points. So considering seven of their last eight games are very, very winnable games, they're right in it. They did have one bad loss in that stretch, but... They've been really turning the corner at the right time. They beat the Jazz, who now are 12 and 7. They were 12 and 6 heading to last night. They beat them 121 to 114. Reggie Jackson, I said, 27 points, 10 to 20 shooting uh, from the floor. 10 shots out of 20 field goal attempts uh, he made. And then it was 3 of 7 from 3. Norman Powell was absolutely elite with 30 points off of 10 of 15 shooting, 3 of 4 shooting from 3, in a plus 15 rating while he was on the court. So obviously the Clippers uh, definitely needed him out there for more minutes last night. And he really has been great the last few games. On Saturday night, he added 26 points, 2 assists, 2 steals off 10 of 16 shooting, and was 5 of 8 from 3. He's been locked in for the Clippers. And at the right times, I said, when Kawhi Lennon's not giving you the minutes he typically gives you, and you're also not getting uh, minutes out of Paul George because he's hurt, you're getting great minutes out of Norman Powell and Reggie Jackson, uh, and that's what the Clippers really need. Amir Coffey had a good game last night off the bench, 8 points, 5 rebounds, in uh, limited work. He hasn't really played too much this season, but uh, gave them a good game last night, 8 points and 5 rebounds, uh, giving the Clippers a 7-point victory over the Jazz last night. Uh, and now I'm going to stay on the topic of basketball and move on to UMaine basketball, talk a little BC basketball, and then I'll talk some BC football uh, before diving into uh, the MAC, and then also maybe even talk a little bit about the World Cup before Peter Amara comes on at 7.20, which, as I said, I'm very excited for. This will be his debut on the podcast, which will be great. So for UMaine basketball, they play Central Connecticut State tomorrow at 3.30 p.m. UMaine, as you guys know, now I'm a big fan. Uh, over the past couple weeks, me and my curly sports guru have been big fans of UMaine. Uh, they're coming off three straight victories, so three straight wins for the Black Bears. CCSU, Central Connecticut State, is 0-5 on the year. They just lost on Sunday to UMBC, which is the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, by two points. Uh, they are really struggling in late-game scenarios. They have three losses out of their five have come by five points or less. So they really just haven't really had much luck at the end of games or closing games and not in close-game situations. They're obviously struggling being 0-5 with three of those losses being by five points or less. Their 6'7 junior guard, Kellen Amos, 
is CCSU's leading scorer. Amos averaging 12.8 points per game, 3.6 rebounds per game, 1.2 assists per game, at 46.4% shooting from the floor. That's one guy for them to watch out for. As for the history of UMaine basketball uh, versus Central Connecticut State, they've played each other a lot recently, considering they're in New England together and Smaller schools uh, in the retrospective, obviously BC being a Power 5 school, uh, and then if you look at it, Providence being a bigger basketball school as well. Uh, if you look at it from that perspective, obviously UMaine and Central Connecticut State, uh, you know, very similar, uh, as I said, uh, re- retrospectively very similar schools to each other. So Maine lost to Central Connecticut State last year by 8 points in 2021. They also played in 2019 with Maine winning by 2 points. And then in 2018, Maine lost by three in double overtime to Central Connecticut State. Uh, so as you can tell, their last three matchups, which I just broke down all three of them, have all been close ones. So I'd imagine this one will probably be a close one too, even though considering, as I said, UMaine coming off three straight wins, had a big win last week over Columbia, winning by 23 points. Uh, considering Central Connecticut State has given them a run in each of their last three times they've played each other in 2018, 19, and 2021, I'd imagine this game will be close, even though Central, Central Connecticut State is 0-5 on the year. Now I'm going to move on to BC Basketball really quick. Uh, BC Basketball finished third in the Paradise Jam Basketball Tournament in the Virgin Islands. Uh, they lost to Talton State uh, in the second game of the tournament on Sunday. They lost that game 70-54, to losing by 16 points to Talton State. Uh, is never a good thing. BC could not stop. Talton State's leading scorer, Freddie Hicks. Hicks was 6-10 from the floor with 6 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal, and 21 points. Uh, he was great the whole game. Very consistent player. And also helped them out on the defensive end, adding a steal with 6 rebounds. Tough player overall. Shot 6-10 from the floor. And BC just had a hard time stopping him. DeMont Langford only had 3 points off 3 of 4. Shooting from the free throw line. All of his points coming from free throws uh, in 17 minutes of action. Jaden Zachary, God, second year God for BC basketball. Had a very good year last year. Has struggled a little bit this year. Was 0-4 from the floor with 4 points off of free throws in this game. So if you have seven points combined between Zachary and DeMont Langford and all seven of those points coming from free throws, you're not going to win many games. And obviously that was the storyline of this game, BC losing by 16 points. BC struggled with free throws yet again, shooting 15 of 26 in this game against Talton State at the free throw line for 57.7% free throw percentage. And as you can tell, BC has struggled in every game this season shooting free throws. And at the end of the day, when you're playing smaller schools that are dominating at the free throw line, like Talented State, they were 20 of 25 at the free throw line for an 80% free throw percentage. Then you look at BC, a bigger school, power five school that's dominated by a small school at the free throw line. At the end of the day, free throws are very important. You made BPC last week because they could shoot free throws. BC shot 56% from the line in that game. You made was around 80%. Then you look at this game, Talented State being an 80% free throw shooting team. And BC shooting 57%, just like the UMaine game. When you're a small school and you can shoot free throws and you're playing against a Power 5 school like BC that has struggled in late-game scenarios now for the last year and a half, the last five years, honestly, overall, and cannot shoot free throws right now consistently, and I want them around 70%. They're shooting around 55 56 57% right now in every game. You're going to obviously be in every single game if you're a small school that can shoot free throws and then keep up in late-game scenarios. And that's the story of BC season so far. Talton State beating BC, UMaine beating BC, at the end of the day, BC has to play, play has to play better and has to play stronger against their smaller opponents like UMaine and like Talton State. Considering when you get to the ACC play, you're not going to get handed any cupcakes. I mean, when you play UNC, Duke, and you have to play North Carolina, North Carolina State, Florida State, Syracuse, Miami, it's not going to be easy for BC. It's not going to be easy. They have to start winning games now and turning the season around now. Which starting the season, as I said, I mean, at the end of the day. You should consider being a power five school. You should consider your team 
average free throw shooting if you're around 65, 70%. I'd like them around 75, but they're not going to probably get there. So 70% is what I would consider good for BC basketball at the free throw line. And right now they really haven't had that. But overall, on the year, a 4-2, so not a bad start of the season. Uh, but with both their losses coming to smaller schools in Talton State and UMaine, BC did beat Wyoming yesterday by 11 points to finish third in the Paradise Gym tournament. Jaden Zachary shot 4 of 9 from the floor with 16 points, 4 rebounds, and an assist. As I said, he's been struggling a little bit as of late. Had a good game yesterday. And Makai Ashton Langford was 5 of 9 from the floor with 12 points for BC yesterday. So obviously BC got a big win, finishing third in the tournament, now improving their record 2-4-2 in the first six games. Obviously BC's had injuries as well. Quinton Post, starting center, has been out for a while now. Uh, not having him for the whole part of the season so far, whole, whole early part of the season, has not been easy, especially considering he's a big presence in the paint. And then obviously Demar Langford battling injuries. And now freshman guard slash forward, Prince of Ligbe battling injuries. I'd consider him a forward more than I consider him a guard. So... Freshman forward, Prince of Ligbe battling injuries. Not easy to overcome, especially considering BC basketball has been struggling for years, even when guys are on the floor, you know, in late-game scenarios. And now when you have a lot of guys that typically probably wouldn't be playing late-minute scenario uh, situations, if Quinton Post and DeMar Langford and uh, Prince of Ligbe were healthy, now you have guys that are playing in big situations in late-game scenarios because BC doesn't really have the depth right now injuries-wise because everyone's hurt. So... Hopefully, guys get healthy soon for BC and they continue to win games. Obviously, being 4-2, there's still a lot of season left. And obviously, as you guys know, I'm a big Earl Grant fan. Uh, he's the second-year head coach for BC basketball coming over from the College of Charleston. Saw him coach a lot against Northeastern over the years in the CAA, the Colonial Athletic Conference uh, or Association. Uh, and in that conference, it was always Northeastern versus Charleston, typically, uh, for who is going to go to March Madness with the CAA bid uh, to the March Madness tournament. And Hofstra was in there as well. But at the end of the day... And UNCW, North Carolina Wilmington was in there for a little bit as well. But Charleston versus Northeastern was a great battle and a great rivalry. So I've always respected Earl Grant's game. And I think he's a great head coach. And I think the future of BC basketball is bright with his recruiting and all the intensity and knowledge he brings to the game of basketball. So very excited to see what he does in the future. And obviously, with them being 4-2 to start the season, still a lot to look forward to uh, when all those guys come back healthy. Now move on to BC basketball really quick. They suffered an abysmal 44 to nothing loss to Notre Dame on Saturday in the snow. Uh, in South Bend, Indiana. I know a lot of BC kids end up going to that game. Sitting in 10-degree wind chill is never going to be fun. Uh, but considering BC lost 44 to nothing and didn't even score a point, that makes it obviously a lot worse. And then you add in all the money you spent to go there uh, to try to see BC play. It's obviously not ideal. Uh, BC was down 37 to nothing at halftime, falling now to 3-8 on the season, losing the game 44 to nothing overall. Quarterback Emmett Moorhead struggled heavily in the game. Passing for just 117 passing yards and throwing three interceptions with two fumbles lost. Five total turnovers for the redshirt freshman quarterback. Not a great game for him at all. He's been playing well the last two games before this week. Uh, and then, obviously, against Notre Dame just was not his day. BC had 56 yards on the ground to Notre Dame's 281. Notre Dame, as you can tell, dominated in the trenches on the ground. 281 rushing yards to BC's 56. Wide receiver Zay Flowers had a quiet day for BC. Had a long of 39 uh, but with only three catches of 46 yards, you take that 39-yard catch away. Only two catches for seven yards. Notre Dame had four sacks to BC zero. So obviously Notre Dame's defensive line was obviously getting penetration uh, and obviously getting pressure on Emmett Moorhead and then also stopping the run game, only allowing 56 yards on the ground. Notre Dame true freshman defensive back Benjamin Morrison was probably the biggest threat in enemy for BC on Saturday. He had all three of Emmett Moorhead's interceptions. And as I said, he's a true freshman defensive back. Benjamin Morrison... 
True freshman defensive back, three picks of Emmett Moorhead on Saturday. Morrison was locked down the entire game, only giving up one reception on six targets with three interceptions, a tackle, three pass breakups, and a 92.1 pro football focus coverage grade, which is elite. And as I said, only a true freshman. So he's obviously got a bright future ahead of him. And if you look at it, he's had a great season overall. According to Irish Sports Daily, out of all FBS cornerbacks, so all cornerbacks in Division I uh, single-A football, who have played a minimum of 230 snaps in coverage this year, no one has allowed a lower passer rating than Benjamin Morrison with a 29.3 passer rating allowed in coverage this season. So very impressive uh, for him. And it wasn't just Morrison that played great. Uh, Notre Dame quarterback Drew Pine didn't have two crazy games since there was a lot of it. A lot of the game for Notre Dame was running the ball, uh, but Drew Pine was pretty good, 156 passing yards and a touchdown. And the Notre Dame running back Logan Diggs had 15 carries for 122 yards and a touchdown. Notre Dame running back Audric Estime had 11 rushes for 71 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. And then as for BC, which I'm going to talk about probably only their bright spot on offense, which wasn't even that great of a game, was Alex Broom carrying the ball seven times to 25 rushing yards, which overall, besides Zay's three catches for 49 yards, or whatever Zay had, let me see, what Zay had three catches of 46 yards. Besides that, Broom probably had the best game in offense. So there weren't many positives, as you could tell, from BC's offense and defense losing that game 44 to nothing. BC has their last game of the season, their last home game of the season, so it is senior day, their last game of the season overall as well. This Saturday on November 26th at 7.30 p.m. under the lights at Alumni Stadium, their fourth night game of the year at Alumni. And this is actually my last game as a BC student. Crazy to say it, considering it seems like yesterday I was just a freshman at BC uh, and going over to my dad's section where he has season tickets and seeing all of our friends that, you know, are the rows behind us and in front of us. It seems like yesterday I was just a freshman coming over and we're all going crazy and everyone's going nuts uh, since I was a student at BC and I was a freshman. Now I'm a senior and time really went by quick. Four straight uh, years just went by in a blink. Uh, so this is my fourth season, uh, you know, being at BC uh, and being able to sit uh, with my dad in the season ticket seats, which are great. Uh, so my last game being at BC uh, while I'm here as a student, uh, which is crazy to say it, but uh, it'll be a good game for BC, hopefully. I don't know. I mean, Syracuse is pretty good. Uh, although they have lost five straight games. They were 6-0 to start the year. Now they're 6-5, and five, losing five straight games. Uh, but as I said, it is senior day for the BC players. Senior day technically for me as well. As I said, it's my last game being at BC while I'm a student here. So as I said, so senior day for BC, which includes many players, Zay Flowers, Jason Matry, Phil Jakovic, Josh DeBerry, to name a few, uh, all of those guys being seniors, Zay Flowers and Josh DeBerry, both of my age, fourth-year seniors, and then for Matry and Jakovic, both of them coming back on a grad year, fifth year uh, of eligibility. So Syracuse, I said, 6-5 and five on the year, started at 6-0, and oh, now losing five straight games. They're coming off a 45-35 to 35 loss to Wake Forest this past weekend. Uh, and if you look at it, their quarterback did not play well in that game, 17-31, of 31, uh, which at the end of the day, you look at it and say, oh, 17-31, 324 yards, a touchdown, a pick. He also had a rushing touchdown, but considering what he did last year to BC uh, when he played BC, you'd probably want a little bit more out of him uh, on the running in the running game. He had 16 carries of 78 yards last year against BC for a touchdown. If you look at his passing yards against Wake Forest, not a bad game, 17-31, of 31, 324 yards, a touchdown, a pick, and also a rushing TD. But I'd like to see a little bit more out of him running the ball. I know he did a rushing touchdown, but I'd like to see a little bit more of him in the running game, considering last year he played BC, 
dominated on the ground. So did Sean Tucker as well, uh, Syracuse running back. But not the worst game. I might have come on a little bit hot on him there, but uh, considering he had a better game last year playing BC on the ground, maybe they could have used that in that game against Wake Forest this past weekend. Sean Tucker, Syracuse running back. Tucker had 16 carries for 106 yards and two touchdowns. A very good game for him. Schrader on the year, 15 touchdowns and six picks with 2,025 passing yards. And then Sean Tucker, the running back, 185 carries for 935 yards and nine touchdowns. Syracuse's leading wide receivers are Rondé Gadsden II. Uh, Gadsden is how you actually pronounce it. Excuse me for uh, butchering that. Gadsden II uh, has 48 catches on the year for 785 receiving yards and eight touchdowns. He's actually their leading receiver. And the last time they played each other was last year, BC losing that game 21-6 at Syracuse. And Sean Tucker dominated that game, 26 carries for 207 yards and a touchdown. Garrett Schrader, quarterback, as I was just pointing out, was electric on the ground last year for Syracuse, 16 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. And then also added 5 of 14 passing in that game for 65 yards. But he's ultimately really just a threat in that game on the ground. That's why I thought maybe they could have made that more of an emphasis in their game this past weekend against Wake Forest. I'm sure that would be an emphasis in this game this weekend against BC since BC's been struggling a lot to contain mobile quarterbacks. You've seen with Malik Cunningham uh, and then also a quarterback uh, like Sam Hotman on uh, Wake Forest. BC struggles with mobile quarterbacks. So we'll see what happens obviously in that game. Uh, BC did not score a touchdown when they played each other last year. Uh, they split time at quarterback between Emmett Moorhead and Dennis Grossell. Freshman quarterback, quarterback Emmett Moorhead last year versus graduate student quarterback Dennis Grossell. I think Grossell didn't get enough credit last year, especially considering when he was in the game, at least we were trying to score and trying to move the ball downfield, even if he wasn't as talented as a guy like Phil Jakovic or Emmett Moorhead with his arm. He gave you everything he's got, always hustled. Took big hits, stayed in the game, uh, and really showed uh, how much grit he had and how much strength he had. And that's something BC misses. I'm sure they missed that veteran leadership in the locker room. So I was always a Dennis Grossell guy. I think even last year on the playbook with Joey and Zach, I was saying how you know last year's offense wasn't really the biggest issue. I was really, really worried about the defense as well. It was kind of just both. But at the end of the day, I was not blaming uh, Grossell completely for the reason BC uh, did not have as good of a year as they did last year. And now look at them this year. I mean, the 3-8 and eight on the year. This is a major disappointment for BC football, especially considering the last couple of years with Jeff Halfley, we've been competitive in the ACC. I mean, we're not, you know, we haven't beat Clemson, but the last two times we played them before this year, we were competitive in both games, actually held leads in both games. Uh, but now this year, only having two ACC wins, uh, very tough for BC, being two and five on the year in the ACC. And if you look at it being three and eight overall, not the best year for BC, unfortunately. Uh, but if you look at it last year, Moorhead was 6 of 15 for 87 yards in that game against Syracuse. Gross out 9 of 17 passing for 93 yards. And then Zay Flowers had 6 catches for 116 yards in that game. So to, uh, imagine he will go deep for a touchdown this weekend, hopefully, especially considering it's his last game as a BC Eagle before he goes on to the NFL. And Syracuse dominated on the ground in that game, and that's why I was just talking about Schrader. Probably should have ran the ball a little bit more than he did this past weekend. For 293 rushing yards. Uh, they dominated with 293 rushing yards to BC 71 last year. So Syracuse at the edge, 293 rushing yards to BC 71. Uh, as you can tell, BC struggled last year in that game on the ground. Uh, so really quick now, uh, before I move on to talk about the NFL really quick, I'm going to talk about the MAC, and then hopefully have my friend Peter Maurer come on, uh, maybe at 7.30 to talk Northeastern hockey, uh, maybe talk about his uh, website as well, talking music, talk about his podcast, uh, probably going to talk about everything in sports as I typically do. Uh, now I'm just going to preview a couple of the MAC games uh, that have already kicked off. Right now, Ball State is playing Miami, Ohio. Ball State 5-6 on the year, Miami, Ohio 5-6 on the year, both teams being 5-6, meaning whatever team wins this game, has a chance 
uh, or will actually have bowl eligibility to get a bowl game. So it's a big game for both teams. Consider whoever wins this game will have a bowl. Uh, who is favored in this game? It is Miami, Ohio by two and a half points. Miami, Ohio on the year, as I said, five and six. Uh, their offense has been struggling to score 20 and a half points per game on average. Ball State averaged 23.8 point, points per game. Uh, but I think it'll be a close game. If I had to pick, I'm going to roll with Ball State taking the win in this game. Carson Stale, Ball State's running back, has been unreal on the year. 1,376 yards on 263 carries adding in 12 rushing touchdowns in 11 games, uh, and then also adding a little bit in the pass game as well, 131 receiving yards on 23 receptions to go along with a receiving touchdown. Uh, so I, I'm going to go with uh, Ball State winning this game. I do like John Paddock, their quarterback as well, 2,594 passing yards on the year, averaging 235 passing yards per game with 18 touchdowns to 12 picks, uh, and then also adding uh, as well uh, a 116 0.1 passer rating in 11 games. I'm going to go with Ball State winning this game tonight. I think they win this one in a close one, 31 to 27. Uh, and then the other game is Bowling Green versus Ohio. Both these teams are already bowl eligible. Bowling Green got a big win last week over Toledo, winning that game at Toledo on the road, 42 to 35. Huge win for Bowling Green. Matt McDonald, former BC quarterback, transferred over to Bowling Green, was 20 of 36 passing for Bowling Green with 395 passing yards and four touchdowns. Also, if you look at it, Toledo, very good team on the air, 7-4. and four. That's a big win for Bowling Green. Now they'll have a chance to maybe win tonight against Ohio and improve their record past 8-3 and three on the year uh, or to be 7-5, and five, and then Ohio would go uh, down to 8-4. and four. Uh, I'm going to roll with Bowling Green in this game. They also do have C.J. Lewis for a B.C. wide receiver who added two catches of 14 yards in last week's game versus Toledo. I'm going to roll with Bowling Green winning this game, uh, even though Ohio currently is favored by seven points in the betting lines. I'm going to go with Bowling Green winning this game. Another close one, probably, but I'm going to go with Bowling Green winning this one, 37-34, uh, in a high-scoring Mac game. Uh, and then some other games to pay attention to, uh, and all these games being 0-0 so far between Bowling Green, Ohio, and then also Ball State versus Miami, Ohio, all those games being 0-0. Friday, November 25th, will be Central Michigan versus Eastern Michigan. Central Michigan being 4-7 and on the year. They're no longer bowl eligible. Unfortunately, Eastern Michigan currently uh, is... An underdog by two points in that game, even though Central Michigan is 4-7 and seven on the year. Uh, they do have a good offense, can move the ball. They will be favored in that game, even though Eastern Michigan's home. And then Toledo will be playing Western Michigan. Toledo 7-4 on the year, Western Michigan 4-7. and seven. That game will also be at 12 on Friday. So Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan at 12 on Friday, and then Toledo versus Western Michigan. And then you got Saturday, Kent State versus Buffalo. Buffalo 5-5 five five on the year, Kent State 4-7. and seven. That game will be at 1 o'clock on Saturday at Buffalo. Buffalo currently favored by 4 points. And then you've got Akron 1-9 versus Northern Illinois 3-8. Northern Illinois favored by 10 points in that game at 1-30 on Saturday afternoon. Uh, tough stretch there for a lot of my MAC teams. I love Central Michigan. They're 4-7 and seven on the year, have battled injuries with Dana Richardson, their quarterback, being hurt. And then Lou Nichols the third, not really having as much running room as he typically has on the year. Very electric running back, though. Excited to see if he comes back next year for Central Michigan. Uh, uh, and then you look at it, I like Buffalo. Uh, you know, I liked Buffalo a little bit last year. I like, I like how they move the ball on offense, but they have 5-5 five and five on the year. But ultimately, my teams are Kent State and Central Michigan, both of them being 4-7 and seven on the year and not being bowl eligible. I do like Bowling Green. They're 6-5 and five on the year. They're bowl eligible. And I like Toledo. They're 7-4 on the year. So 
see what happens in those games. I'll keep you guys updated on that. And one last thing I want to talk about before I have my friend Peter Maurer come on is the NFL very quick. I'm going to weigh in on Zach Wilson uh, and give my thoughts on the Patriots-Jets game. There wasn't really much offense in that game at all, if any. We want to consider it offense. There wasn't much any on the Jets side. The Patriots moved the ball a little bit, but ultimately only got three points in offense just like the Jets. Um, I'll also talk about Sam Donald, who will be getting the start this weekend for the Carolina Panthers. So I'll start off with Zach Wilson. 9 of 22 passing, 77 yards, a touchdown, no touchdowns, and three carries for 26 yards this past Sunday uh, for the Jets against the Patriots. But with that being said, I don't necessarily blame him completely for the loss. I mean, the Jets really didn't get anything going on offense at all in general. The running backs, Michael Conner and James Robinson, didn't do really much at all. So I don't blame him completely for that loss to the Jets. He did have a few bad misses, though. But what I do blame for is this, is accountability. After the game, he was asked by a reporter, do you feel like you let the offense, uh, the defense, feels let down by the offense today? Do you feel like you, as the offense, only scoring three points, let the defense down by only scoring three points? And he already said no. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, you're a quarterback in a New York, for a New York football team, in the New York media market. And if you look at it, that's the biggest market in all of sports. New York media is the biggest. You need to take accountability, even if you don't think you're that bad of a game. Say, we know if we have to be better. You only scored three points. You have to say, we know if we have to be better. You beat the Buffalo Bills last week. Your last game, you beat the Buffalo Bills. Now you play the Patriots and obviously lose and only score three points. How do you beat the Bills and have a great game, but only score three points against the Patriots? And maybe it's just Bill Belichick game plans great against the Jets. Typically, Zach Wilson struggles against the Patriots. But you have to take some accountability for your struggles only scoring three points. This is the NFL. Zach Wilson has to take responsibility. I love Zach Wilson. I'm actually a fan of him. I think he's a good player. I think he has a great talent. I think he's a great arm as well. Just maybe doesn't make the best decisions. But one thing about saying, no, I don't feel like I let the team down, is even though I don't think he had that bad of a game, considering he only had a couple bad misses, and at the end of the day, receivers weren't really open too much. He did have a bad miss to Tyler Conklin. Should have been picked by Devin McCourty. But at the end of the day, you have to take some accountability. And I think Dan Olofsky on ESPN, former NFL quarterback, backup quarterback for some years for the Detroit Lions, said it best. His former head coach at the time, I think it was in Detroit, Gary Kubiak, said to him, everyone's job and livelihood in this building depends on you. Everyone's job and livelihood, which this is paraphrased a little bit, but everyone's job and livelihood is in your hands. Take some responsibility. You have to grow up. You have to mature. And I think right now with Zach Wilson, I think he's a little immature. And at the end of the day, he's only second-year quarterback. Maybe he learns that. But I do think at some point, Zach Wilson has to take accountability for only getting three points and saying, yeah, I struggled. I had a bad game. Even though I don't think he had that bad of a game. I don't think it was that bad, as bad as everyone makes it seem like. Since the Jets' offense is a whole struggle, they only got, you know, three points as a whole. And then Michael Conner didn't have a good game at all. And James Robinson, the two running backs, did nothing. I mean, the Jets as a whole, their offense really hasn't been too crazy. Uh, but they have won some games, considering they're 6-4 and four in the year. They fought a 6-4 and four now. The Patriots improved to 6-4. and four. But... I'm going to talk about the Patriots side now, you know, before I just hop over to that. Zach Wilson, I'm a fan of you. I think you have good talent. I think the Jets should give you another year, at least give you the end of this year and even one more. But you have to take responsibility. You're in New York. Eli Manning, every time he had a bad game or a good game, even if the Giants won the game and it's because of the offense, he always gives credit to the defense. He always gives credit to the guys in front of the offensive line. In the reverse, when you have a bad game, you have to take responsibility as a quarterback, even if you didn't have that bad of a game. The quarterback's role is to be a leader on the team, and considering he wasn't, which I heard this on Felger and Mass Day, 98.5, the Sports Hub, and Greg Bedard pointed this out in the Boston Sports Journal, Big Boy Tuesdays with Greg Bedard, the best segment in all of sports radio, sports media on TV. He's really the best at what he does. 
He said his number one red flag for Zach was coming to college was that he wasn't a captain at BYU. So it must show some, at least some, lack of leadership and some immaturity. And I think he needs to mature. But now I'm talking to the Patriots really quick. They won that game 10-3. They won an 84-yard punt return by Marcus Jones. Well under a minute to go. Huge win for the Patriots, improving to 6-4 and four in the year. They really didn't uh, generate too much on offense. Uh, but Mac Jones was 23-27 of 27 passing. Only missed a couple throws. The other two were drops uh, for 246 passing yards. Damian Harris was great on the ground. 8 carries to 65 yards. Ramondre Stevenson cut, uh, struggled a little bit on the ground. 15 carries to 26 yards. Was ineffective on the ground, but added 56 yards out of the backfield. And then you had the Patriots... Dominating as a whole, yards-wise, 297 offensive yards for the Patriots to the Jets with 103. 194 more yards for the Patriots and the Jets. No turnovers for either team. Low-scoring game, minimal offense. I think the storyline of the game was the second half of the Jets. They averaged 2.7 inches per play in the second half against the Patriots on Sunday. In the second half, the Jets ran 26 offensive plays and only gained... Two total offensive yards, which equates overall to 2.7 inches per play. That's ridiculous. They need to be better. Obviously, Robert Sala he said he's going to take everything into account this week and everything's on the table for who's going to be the starter this week. Who knows? It could be Joe Flacco. It could be Mike White. Obviously, Joe Flacco had some success in the first four games of the season while Zach Wilson was hurt. But I think at the end of the day, the Jets are 5-2 and two with Zach Wilson, I believe, as a starting quarterback. So I don't think you can give up on him completely. But they do need to be better. They do need to be better. And with that being said, there's a lot of pressure on a New York quarterback. As you guys know, Sam Donald was a former Jets quarterback, got traded to the Panthers. I'm going to talk about him in a second. Got traded to the Panthers in 2021, uh, right before the NFL draft. But you need to take some accountability as the starting quarterback of the New York Jets. And Sam Donald did that even when he struggled or had some good games. Zach Wilson has to do that. So now to transition to Sam Donald. He will be getting the start for the Carolina Panthers this weekend. He has not played at all this year due to an ankle sprain uh, that he suffered during uh, the offseason. I think it was training camp. I don't think it was the offseason. I think it was during training camp or the preseason. It was a preseason, actually. I think it was the second preseason game. He suffered an ankle sprain. Has not played all this year. This will be his first start of the season. Last year for the Panthers, had nine touchdowns with 13 picks uh, in his starts in Carolina. I always liked Donald. I always thought he had great talent and always favored him over Bacon Mayfield when they ended up getting Bacon Mayfield from the Browns. But he does need to show something in these last six or seven games to show that he has a chance to be a future quarterback or future starting quarterback in the NFL. I don't think he's going to drop out of the NFL completely, but he might just be a backup after this year if he doesn't have a good year in the last six or seven games. He has to show some promise, and I'm wishing him nothing but the best. Hopefully he succeeds this weekend over the Denver Broncos. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does, obviously, considering he hasn't played it all this year. Our expectations aren't going to be too high. But I think the way you look at it is when you're on a team like the Carolina Panthers who – Aren't having a good year at all. And if you look at it, that division's honestly weak. Uh, I think the Panthers are 4-7, and seven, uh, which let me make sure here just to be 100% sure. The Panthers are currently 3-8. and eight. So they're 3-8. and eight. The Bucs are 5-5. Five and five. Falcons just a half game behind at 5-6. and six, And the Saints are 4-7. and seven. They're in a bad division. I mean, even though they're two and a half games out of the Bucs, seems like they're done anyways. Uh, so why not? See what you have in Sam Donald. Try to give him a chance. You've... You know, been struggling as a whole on the year. You've only scored 207 points on the year, giving up 256. So you have a minus 49 uh, point differential, and you're 3-8. and eight. And considering you're 0-5 away, maybe this weekend, Sam Donald gives you a chance to get a win. Uh, you are home, which the, they've actually been better at home. They're 0-5. 
uh, on the road, and they are three and three at home. So maybe Sam Donald gives you a win. They win uh, that game and improve the four and three at home. But we'll see what happens. Uh, and obviously, I'm hoping Sam Donald plays well. As you guys know, I'm a big fan of him, and I was a fan of him coming out of USC. And I still think he has some promise and talent to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Just give me one second. I'm going to give Peter a text, and then hopefully have him on in just a second. And just I say that Carson Steele of Ball State had a huge touchdown run for Ball State, giving him a 7 to nothing lead over Miami, Ohio, a 48-yard touchdown run. As I said, I pointed out that he's a very good player and 48-yard touchdown run to start the game. He is Peter Amara, my boy. How are we doing, Pete? Doing great, Joey. How are you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. Doing well. Great to have you on. Thank you so much for being so willing to come on. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. but No, no worries, man. I'm going to give you a quick introduction, talk about you really quick, let everyone know who you are. So this is my good friend, Peter Mara, Northeastern hockey super fan. That's why I consider you the biggest Northeastern hockey fan I know, number one in the business. Uh, He also has his own website now for 13 years, writing and covering hundreds and hundreds of Boston artists and musicians, along with their music, talking about their path, uh, what music's coming out soon, talking about their passions, what they do outside of music, which is pretty cool. Uh, And his website, actually, Music Box Pete, is what it's called, Music Box Pete. Check it out online. Was just nominated for the Boston Music Award for Music Publication of the Year. So congratulations on that nomination, Pete. Uh, Hopefully you get that. I'd be very excited and happy for you. You deserve it. You deserve it more than anyone, uh, considering you put in the time, obviously, 13 years. And as I said, you cover a lot of Boston artists, including... My friend Mark Walsh, the legend Mark Walsh. Yeah, you had him mm-hmm. on the podcast during the summer. Yeah, awesome. Sure did. Uh, so you showcase Boston and New England artists, local artists, their new music releases. And then you also have a podcast as well uh, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and iHeartRadio as well uh, with interviews of local artists, including Mark Walsh, uh, who get the platform to talk about their music uh, and tell their story to you uh, and obviously talk about their new music coming out. So very exciting stuff. And I want to give everyone uh, a quick... Uh, link of where they can go to uh, vote for Peter. I'm going to get put it in the Spotify uh, summary in the episode. I'm also uh, going to say it right now out loud. Go to www.bostonmusicawards.com slash vote. bostonmusicawards.com slash vote. You get one vote per email address, so please make sure to vote for Peter. He deserves more than anyone the absolute goat. How are we doing, Pete? Doing great, Joey. Thank you so much for coming on. It's a real treat. This is unreal. I was happy you were able to come on. Obviously, this is something we've talked about for a while now, and now we get the chance to talk some Northeastern hockey live on air as we do in every game. Uh, I think we start out with how we met at the first game. Uh, It was against BC last year, Northeastern BC, at Conti Forum. At Conti Forum. I'm going to tell it from my side, and you can tell from yours because you moved seats as well, and I guess it just worked out. But I was at that game. Uh, it was early in the season. Northeastern uh, started out that game. I believe they were up at one point. I think it might have been 2-1 off uh, two Ada McDonough goals, which was awesome. Uh, and I was in the BC student section. Jordan Harris, Northeastern defenseman, went down, hit his head off the ice. Uh, tough play there. BC's student section did not have the best reaction to that. Didn't like uh, the cheering for that hit uh, since it was a dangerous play. And then McDonough scored two goals. I couldn't cheer being in the BC student section, so I said, all right, I got to go to the Northeastern section. I got to go off top. Yeah, where yeah. I could be, you know, where I could feel uh, welcome and comfortable. Went up, sat up there, sat right next to you. Little did we know, uh, you know, four months later, I would be at that UMass Lowell hockey game uh, at Lowell in March or February it was. Uh, and who knew you'd be at that game, I'd be at that game and reconnect there and now be, uh, become really good Northeastern hockey. Buddies going to every game, becoming boys and obviously being uh, super fans, both of us, even though I consider you the number one super fan. But oh, you've been from your perspective. Obviously, you were at that game as well at Conti Forum and uh, you moved seats as well, didn't you, you said? 
Yeah, I did. Yeah, so I moved over to the student section as well too, just because there were so many kids over there in that in that section. So I moved over to the uh, other side, probably around uh, right after se- uh, second during se- second intermission, I think. So yep. over there, I remember seeing this kid in a red sweatshirt who was uh, videotaping a lot of things. I'm thinking, hmm, he, he must really love hockey or such. And uh, we only had like a couple conversations. I do remember one thing uh, you did say to me, like right after, because Northeastern lost that game. I, I forget what the score I was. I think it was 4 to 2, tough game. Um, 5 40, to 3. 40, 5 yeah. to 3, maybe. We might have got to go on the last second. Yeah, 5 to 3, yeah. So I remember uh, we parted ways, and then you said, uh, we'll get him again in the bean pot, because that's the one that matters. I, I, that always stuck with me. And we got that win, didn't we? We got that win in the bean pot. We did, yeah. We got that win in the bean pot. So that was actually, the bean pot wasn't too long after. Um, that UMass Lowell game because I saw you. It was about two days after, two days after. Yes, yeah, yeah. so the first round of Beanpot BC uh, obviously <clears throat> lost to Northeastern, and then that following, what was it, Friday was UMass Lowell versus Northeastern. So I Friday. didn't see you at that first game against BC at the Beanpot, but then we became friends with that UMass Lowell game, reconnected there again. Uh, and, and that UMass Lowell game was crazy because there weren't many Northeastern fans in general. And I remember me and Mark Walsh were sitting there, and Northeastern scored a goal, a big goal by Julian Kisslin, his first goal of his career, I remember. And I look up, and it was me and Mark screaming, going nuts, and then I look up, and you were the only Northeastern fan I saw. Yeah, it was over a few sections over, yeah. There, it was very few spread out. There's probably only about like a dozen there. There weren't many Northeastern fans. I remember no, saying to Mark, no. I said, I think I know that guy. I said, I think he was at Condi for the beginning of the year, and I think me and him sat together and talked about Northeastern hockey. And I remember we were talking very briefly that BC game, but you knew your hockey, you knew all the plays and stuff. So I said, yeah. oh, he knows his, he knows the lines of the team. He knows who, you know, the Dylan Jackson is, Ty Jackson. He knows the Jackson twins. And he obviously knew uh, Matt Demelis, Jordan Harris. I said, well, yep. he knows the team. I said, so this is pretty cool that you knew everyone. Because not many people follow college hockey to the degree me and you do, especially Northeastern. So you knew those guys. And then when I went up to you at UMass Low, I said, were you that guy at Condi Forum? And you said, I think so. Yeah, wait, were you the one that you know I sat with? And I said, yeah. And then little did we know, you know, three days later, it would be at the Beanpot Finals. Uh, when I talked about BC losing to Northeastern, we didn't even see each other at that BC Northeastern semifinals game because uh, that was before the UMass Lowell game. So it really worked out. And what did you see at that UMass Lowell game? Because you were sitting up top, you probably saw me come over, and you probably just yeah, like I, remember, I think I yeah, yeah you coming over to it. Then uh, we were just talking about hockey for a little bit. We exchanged uh, cell phone numbers, and we've been our best buddies ever since. Yeah, so we've been tight ever since. From there. The biggest Northeastern hockey fan I know, and it's a pleasure sitting at games. Obviously, I sat with you this last Saturday. It was a tough game yes. for Northeastern, uh, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've said a ton of games now. You go to every one of them. You don't miss any, really, at all. Yeah, I've only missed, if I can recall, two games in the... Um, so I've been a season ticket holder for about five years now. Um, we'll only miss one year, obviously, because uh, in 2020, COVID. fans weren't yep. because of the pandemic. So it's really been like like four years or so, but mm-hmm. but, but five, five calendar years total. But um, I've only missed two games... Only because of concerts, because I had conflicts with concerts yep. I attended. Okay. Yeah, no, you. As, and we're going to talk about your music too, and uh, your website. We'll talk about that in the podcast. Obviously, you being nominated. Congratulations again. Quite the honor. Thanks. Very proud. Uh, if you get it, even if you don't get it, it's an honor on its own. But I'm hoping you get it. Uh, and as you know, I have a big family, so hopefully everyone will get a vote in for you. Uh, everyone listening to this, I'll put it as I said in the Spotify YouTube description, uh, so everyone can vote easily and go straight to it, which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about Northeastern hockey. We'll start with them. Obviously, got a big win Friday at BU. Yep. Uh, and then mm-hmm. lost on Saturday. I wasn't at that BU game. I don't think you were either at BU, right? I wasn't at a game on Friday, no. Okay, neither was I. That was a good win, obviously. Tough one not to be at. And then Saturday, tough game. But one thing me and you were both proud of of that Northeast team is they found themselves down one nothing, and they found a way to battle back out the 2-1 to lead and end up losing that. But they really battled back the whole game, right? And that's... One good thing, they have a lot of fight in this team. Uh, and obviously you're a big Cam Lund fan, which you point out he was a stud. He's a great player. 
We saw yeah, great things out of him. Even when, yeah. even when he doesn't score, he's doing crazy things on the ice. Uh, so what's your perspective on Northeastern Hockey on the year? Obviously, started a little bit slow last year, then got hot. They didn't lose a game from November 20th or November 18th, it was, all the way to January 11th. It was like a two-month stretch till that Arizona State game that we didn't lose a game in regulation. I think at some point we're going to heat up like that. Uh, but what have you seen out of Northeastern Hockey? What do you think about the squad? I think the squad looks absolutely incredible. I think it really starts up at top with Aiden McDonough, really with a captain with a veteran leadership right there, especially, you know, mentoring some of the younger guys. Of course, Cam Lund, which I remarked, you know, a couple um, a couple games ago with how fast he was in the ice. Oh, he's a jet. Like, I saw him jetting down the ice faster than any other player I've seen before. But, I mean, he's great. And, of course, my boy, uh, Choops, you know. Matt Choupani. Really gets his uh, due in. I just think that he's got a lot to prove, it, you know, especially and um, a lot of the other players too. And just you know, I mean, there's so many. To, obviously, you got to mention Devin Levi, of course. Oh uh, boy, yeah. I didn't even mention Levi. The good idea yeah. mentioning him. Stud. He's a beast. Best goalie in college hockey. Number one. And he got another shutout on the game on Friday, which I, I I've sort of lost track with the record of how many shutouts. Oh, it's he's nuts. Had he had he had what ten or eleven last year or something nuts. He had a ton last yeah. year. Uh, then obviously this year as well. I mean, he's had I think he might have a couple this year and. <laughs> Record I think so. I think Primo yeah. had it before. Now he has it. Primo's only two years in, and he's technically two years in as a starter now as well, uh, which mm-hmm. is nuts. He did it basically one year because Primo did it really in two full. Uh, so he's very uh, exciting, obviously, to watch, and he makes some crazy leg saves. And like you said, it starts at the top with McDonough. We didn't mention Sam Colangelo, Gunnable Fontaine. Colangelo. Colangelo. Sam Colangelo, boy. Which you're a big Colangelo guy just like me. We both uh, love his game. Obviously, brings a lot to the ice. Stick handling wise, he can stick handle, but his shots elite. Yeah, mm-hmm. his shots elite. Uh, and then Jack Hughes had a great game on Saturday, obviously with a poke check. Yep. This is the deepest, which I know you've been a fan now for some time now, five years of season ticket holder. Would you say this is the deepest Northeastern team they've had uh, talent wise? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no question about it. I mean, going back to like the first year when I had tickets, when I saw Sakura, Aston Reese got dead. I mean, just literally yep. just but I I still can't believe that I got to witness some on the ice. I think with, with this year's squad, it pretty much mirrors that uh, first year with all those players, as I mentioned, too. And of course, Struves is another one, a good one, too, is really, you know, coming into his own. And, and seeing some of all these other players, too, some of the uh, signings that the NLI signings, too. Absolutely. Really, it really makes me hopeful for the future, too, just the constant revolving door of talent that's mm-hmm. coming in, too. But with who we have now, I think this is the deepest team we have, and especially with, with all the games, because there's not going to be another home game for two months. So Nuts. West, yeah, with Western Michigan, Union, Sacred Heart, LIU, with with all I think we have a, a good opportunity, especially with these non-conference games, uh, to really make some noise, you, you know, come B-Pot time and Hockey East time in March. Definitely. And that's the thing with Northeast, as you said. You said it best. I mean, they're so deep, uh, and you really just want to get hot. When it comes to be February, March, when it really gets to the turning point of the season, we need to be playing your best hockey, which we did last year in February, March. Played great hockey consistently. Uh, we played great hockey for the most part from November to January, then had a couple bad games. Arizona State lost one game to Vermont randomly uh, at the end of the season, which we shouldn't have. Uh, but for the most part, we, we finished last season very hot. And like you said, with all the talent we have, it's really hard to not think Northeastern will be in the top of the Hockey East, obviously have a chance of the bean pot. Uh, and if you look at it, Western Michigan's a great game for Northeastern to have a rematch this coming Friday at 7.30 in Nashville. Uh, me and you will not be in that game, unfortunately. The one no. game you miss, you don't miss many games. Uh, I really don't, know. <laughs> but obviously with it being Thanksgiving on Thursday, it's tough to get all the way to Nashville uh, for the game on Friday. But it's a rematch of the Frozen Four tournament. Me and you are both at that game, the first round. Uh, Northeastern lost that game uh, in March. That was your birthday, I believe, too, it was, correct? yeah. At the DCU Center, we were both there. 
Tough loss for Northeastern, losing that game 2-1 to one in March, uh, in overtime too. So it wasn't a great finish, although we had a chance at the end. I thought Levi made that save. I know you did too. From my initial perspective, because we were so far away on the other side, it occurred. To, it, it looked like to me that he made that save. Me too. But of course, replay, but I guess like at the very split second across the line there, I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding In me. In full motion, I thought he made that save. Then obviously look at the, you know, the slow motion and the review, and obviously it had to go to review because it was that close to play. You knew it was going to be called a goal if it was anything close because at the end of the day, overtime frozen for a tournament. If it goes over, they're not going to say, oh, you know, just a goal in the regular season. That's obviously a big goal considering Western Michigan got the win too. Tough one for Northeastern. But they're playing good hockey right now, Northeastern. 7-4-3 on the year. Western Michigan 9-6 and on the year. They just split this past weekend with Minnesota Duluth. Always a top team in college hockey. So, as in uh, Northeastern, like you said, they won Friday, big win against BU, lost 4-3 in overtime on Saturday. I think this is the time we start to turn things up. Obviously, like you said, you were there in the Gaudette days when Northeastern was really just consistent every game with Adam Gaudette and Sakura and them out. They really never really had a bump in the road at all. And obviously this team, with a young team, you're going to have bumps in the road. Back then, that was a lead. That was a veteran leadership squad, I would say, as a whole with the Gaudette, Sakura, Stevens. Absolutely. It was very, sure. very much all vets. Now it's a lot of young kids. Uh, besides the seniors, uh, with, you know, obviously McDonough and Struble and Demelis, you have a lot of young guys, like you said, Kim Lund, Jack Hughes, only a sophomore. Um, and if you look at it, Riley Hughes, a senior as well. But if you look at it, it's a lot of freshmen and sophomores on this team. So I think that's why we might have a little bit more bumps in the road inconsistently until we get to our high point. But I think that high point's coming come January, come February. But I think playing a great team like Western Michigan midseason is huge to play a team that was number four in the Frozen Four rankings last year. So we'll see how that goes. What do you think about that game on Friday? Do you think we can get the win? I think I think we can. I think that it's definitely a learning curve, especially what we learned from the, uh, f- facing them before in March. I think, you know, looking at them again, you can look at all the uh, game video too, as well too. You look at all the game video from Western Michigan and just see, you know, what uh, what did we do wrong the last time? What can we improve upon? What can we work on? What what can we do better? It's always a learning curve, and what's the next step up the ladder? So I think we got a good shot against Western Michigan on Friday. I really do. Just exact a little bit of revenge. Dude, I, I'm with you, dude. I think they can get the win. I think if you look at it, especially considering we were close to them last year, and now they lost their best player, Ethan Frank. Uh, he graduated. We have still basically a whole squad besides a couple pieces. Obviously, the, the Jackson brothers being gone to ASU and Semp being gone to Arizona State and losing Julian Kislin and obviously Tommy Miller and then Jordan Harris. We have basically the whole squad back, too. So yeah, the whole nucleus, yeah. They're going to want to get a win, get a little bit of a payback, obviously, playing them. Uh, and this is an out-of-conference game, a neutral game, too. So even if we were to lose, it's not the biggest deal. But I think they want to get a win. I think especially considering they're going to be together on Thursday for Thanksgiving with their eyes set on getting a win on Friday. Obviously, it's Black Friday. It's a big, a big day for shopping. Maybe they get the win and then go out uh, in Nashville maybe afterwards. Who knows? But uh, I'm excited to see what that game looks like on Friday. Hopefully, we get a win. I think... <clears throat> If we were to win, it's going to have to be a low-scoring game again because I feel like with them, even if they're young, last year their technique uh, and the way they played the game, their strategy was play quick. They played fast. You know, they had a couple three-on-twos early in the game in the first period, which led to a goal for them uh, in that game. They're going to play quick, so I think if we're going to win this game, it has to be a two-to-one game because I think if it's about pace, besides Cam Lund, we have some fast skaters. I'm not saying we don't, but... I know last year they had a ton of guys jetting it around the ice and their game plan was to play fast, play quick, which Arizona State did the same thing to us last year. They played very fast, very quick. It seems like we struggle with the faster-paced teams, at least playing to our speed. We can't play at our speed if we were to play quicker. We like to set guys up, which you talked about the power play before. 
You're not a fan of Northeastern's power play of the passing around, right? No, I'm, I'm not a fan. And this, this is something I've seen for like years and years and years. It's just a constant like passing around where, where sometimes they don't even chew or they just like pass it around and they're, they're just waiting for, for it to expire or something, which I don't. Sometimes they get shots. <laughs> sometimes they listen, listen to me when I'm, I'm yelling. I mean, I don't yell like shoot, shoot, like all, all the time, but it's just it's one of those things. That, and I can kind of understand, but it is kind of frustrating. But I think with their power play, that's definitely going to set them apart, especially this season. And with these non-conference games coming up, I, I think the non-conference games are important, too. I mean, just just racking up wins because, of course, you know, we talk about the pairwise and, and just get, getting, like, points in general, too. Because I think with the pairwise just moving up in the rankings, that's going to matter more after New Year's. Because, you know, after New Year's, I'm strictly looking the pairwise, looking at the other teams in the nation, how, how we rank above them, too. So I think that really factors in as well. Definitely. When you get two to three months into the season, that's when the pairwise really start to matter. I mean, right now, we've only played, you know, 10 game, uh, 14 games. And most of them, you know, typically are going to be Hockey East games now from now on, besides the non-conference mm-hmm. ones. So once you get to January, that's when it's going to be all conference games. And that's when it's going to matter how you're doing your conference, but also pairwise as well, considering UMass Lowell's really good, UConn's really good. Amherst is a little bit down this year, but uh, BC always gives BC some trouble, uh, Northeast some trouble as well, it seems like. Uh, Which although- I don't understand why, because, you know, BC has a losing record this year, and yeah. we talked about this too, just the discipline, you know, you know, with the uh, BC game when I was at Connie Forum. Yeah, what did you see from that? Because you were there. I didn't get to see it. I was in New York City, so you were at that game at Conti uh, a couple yeah. weekends ago now. What did you see in that game? Obviously, the ending, there was some scuffles between a couple of Northeastern guys. scuffles. I think that this really, you know, comes into not learning not to give in to what BC is uh, – known for and it has a reputation for which is you know really getting into it fights and really trying to antagonize and really you know get, get involved in fights Play aggressive it, yeah it's just a lot of tussling a lot of unnecessary penalties and i think there's an unsportsmanlike conduct one if i remember correctly yeah it yeah. was there was a couple mages i mean struble's out of the game right away yeah and, and just and it was just really bad discipline. I think that's one thing that the, uh, Northeastern has to work on, especially uh, the very last uh, after the uh, ma- uh, after the game ended. Uh, McDonough got into it because uh, BC was celebrating. McDonough just happened in the middle of it, so there's a little bit of a tussle there. I remember Jerry Keith was actually yelling at the ref too. So it was not just the players; it was coaches against refs. It was it was a it mess. Was, it was yeah. a mess, it seems like, obviously. And you were at that game, so you would see it from a different perspective than I did. They didn't show much of that on the broadcast. And then, obviously, when the game ends, they cut it. So they didn't really show uh, yeah. much of the scuffle and stuff like that. But you, I read about it. Obviously, McDonough was suspended a game. Trevor Kuntov, BC, was suspended mm-hmm. a game. Uh, and then Struble was suspended as well, a game for being thrown out with a major penalty. But uh, if you look at it, though, overall, that was a tough game. But I think Northeastern will play their best hockey when they play BC again in February, and then potentially maybe even again in the Beanpot Finals. But you pointed out something great, uh, you know, five minutes ago now probably, that Northeastern's home game Saturday is their last home game that they'll have until January, was it 21st against Merrimack? Against Merrimack, correct, yeah. So two full months, they don't have a home game. That's because they started with six or seven home games. But it's crazy, if I missed that game on Saturday, even though we lost, I wouldn't be at Matthews Arena for another two months. It, you know, for a hockey game at least. I know we talked about potentially going to a basketball game, but for a hockey game, it'd be two full months. Which is crazy. It really is because there's never been a gap, you know, that too long before. Because traditionally, if I remember correctly, the way the schedule is, like around Christmas time, they would always go up to Merrimack, like right before the Christmas break, and they would actually play in games like a little bit uh, after January as well, too. Yeah, so a couple 
games, mostly non-conference. So during but, winter break, they play a couple, you know, one maybe yeah. a home and away, or maybe just a one uh, single set game, like they did last year against Arizona State. That was just one game on its own. Uh, with that game being a rescheduled game, right? Because Northeast was supposed to play someone else, and then someone canceled, right? Yeah, I remember because the, the non-conference game gets yeah, it was yeah, it was some non-conference opponent. I, I forget what the reason and, was. And they canceled, and Arizona State was playing BU that like Sunday or Saturday, so they played yeah, yeah, that, that Tuesday was, night. Yeah. So and then obviously, the obviously they beat us in that game. I think it was six to three or five to two. And then if you look at it, we end up losing the Jacksons to Arizona State. Which the Jacksons, this is how deep Northeastern is right now. The Jacksons are good enough to play second line of most college hockey teams, if not first. And they would have been on the third or fourth line at Northeastern right now, which is nuts. It really is, yeah. <laughs> and we were both fans of the Jacksons. You liked Ty and Dylan just like I did. Both very good players. Uh, and then we obviously lost Semp. TJ Semptum fell to two, uh, Arizona State as well, which I know last year was a big debate between Semp versus Levi. Both of them are such good goaltenders. I didn't want to lose either, but I knew at the end of the day it was either Levi going to the NHL or Semp staying or Levi staying and Semp getting some playing time elsewhere. So that was obviously tough, but you agreed with me, though, at the end of the day, as long as you got one of them. We talked about last year. As long as you keep one, I wanted Semp, but as long as you keep one, I'll take it. But uh, and obviously Semp's a great goalie. Levi's a great goalie, so we really couldn't go wrong either way. But... You see some terrific things out of Levi every game he plays, right? Just like I do. Some crazy saves. Yeah, it really is. Just with the way, though, that he, like, stands on his head and just, you know, it's really his instinct that, that no, he knows where the puck's going to be, like, literally at all times and really just looking behind the net, seeing, like, everything that's going on in the action on the ice, too. Because sometimes, especially in real time, it's really difficult for me to keep track, like, where the puck is. So I don't know how Levi does it, but just, you know, his uh, natural – born instinct that he has too because I, I really believe that he's born with it just the instinct to make all those saves and again all those shutouts that he's accumulated his goals against average this year it really has been phenomenal oh he's They're terrific he's yeah. terrific on and off the ice too as well I mean he's a leader in the locker room he's only a sophomore or now technically a junior academically but a sophomore playing wise uh and on the you know roster as a sophomore I mean now he's been in the locker room for some time too I do like when they have as a post-game interview that doesn't happen very often it's not every game but when they have him in there he always speaks very well and speaks highly of the team around him so Joe's the leader though he's a young kid uh and now I'm gonna ask you this which this is a good question this probably generate a lot of discussion here because there's so many Northeastern players that me and you can go back and forth talking about guys you know we can talk about Adam Gaudet we could talk about uh, Lincoln Griffin. We could go back and forth about Matt DeMellis. I mean, we can go back and forth about so many players. Jakob Novak. We go back and forth about so many players. It's going to be hard to make a list. But do you have a top three or top five favorite Northeastern hockey players ever? Uh, maybe in the last five years, we'll cut it at that. The last five to seven years, do you have a top three or top five players? It's hard to come to a consensus. It I'm really sure. is, yeah. You know, especially to rank them like one through five because I don't want to leave anybody out. But number one for me is Goddad. I mean, Goddad is... Godet is the absolute reason why I have season tickets. Just, you know, just his natural instinct. He was a total star, was born to play hockey, just was incredible on the ice. The game was never in doubt when, when Godet was out there. I mean, he just exudes everything about Northeastern hockey. He was just a constant, you know, warrior on the ice, especially uh, the bean pot against uh, BU where they uh, won 2018, first one in 30 years. Three or four goals, yeah, three goals, right? The rest of my life, yeah. Oh, I remember it too. That was our first win in, was it 34 years, right? You said 1988. Uh, 30- it's at 88, yeah. 30 years, was it? Yeah, 30 years, because 2018, you're right. It was 30, yeah, yeah. 30 years. And then obviously it was the Hobie Baker winner that year. So that's not a bad number one, which it's going to be hard to make a three or a five list, but I'll do either. If you want to make a five-person list, uh, I'll give my first. It's also Adam Gaudet uh, as well, electric player on the ice, local kid from Braintree, came to Northeastern as a young player. His first year had some goals. Then second and third year really took off. His first year showed some talent, which he was a young kid, so he's on the, I think it was third line his first year. 
Then that second year, he moved up to the second line, first line power play. And then that third year was Sakura, Stevens, Gaudet, first line. Best line in all college hockey that year. Generated the most points. Uh, I will have him at number one. As you said, nothing was ever in doubt with Adam Gaudet in the game. And you know if you needed a big goal or you needed a big assist because he could set you up as well, you were getting that from him every single game, night in, night out. Uh, so do you have a number two? Uh, number two for me is uh, Zach Aston Reese. Uh, Aston Reese was another player, and, and he was sort of, you know, from the same mold as Goddard, but, you know, he had a little style and finesse to him, dude. He, he just had something special to him where, you know, I mean, he wasn't out there to be like the biggest star and everything, too, but, you know, could sort of hold the presence in the room like like just enough because he, he wanted to blend in and not stand out. I think that that was his, you know, MO on the ice, too, it was just to sort of, you know, support the other guys, but he's one that I always remember, especially during us, us senior night, which was like, they had like senior night with all the Mexican hats and everything. I remember, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, he scored a hat trick in that game. I remember that. Stud. Yeah, he was a beast. He was a great player. He was one of mine, too. One of my favorites. Yeah, it was against Clarkson that night, I think. Yeah. You, yeah, you have the whole schedule memorized, which I love. I mean, you, yeah, guys, yeah, you, got every game. you know every game, what the score was. It's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're an encyclopedia for Northeast. As I said, the biggest Northeast hockey fan I know, Northeast and Super fan. You guys heard it here first. But uh, that's a great number two there. My number two, more recent player, which you know what's coming next. Jordan Harris, defenseman, obviously was... The anchor of Northeastern hockey for four years, the last two years being an assistant captain, then a captain. I think with Jordan Harris, you were just never worried when he was on the ice. You just felt so comfortable every single time he was on the ice. And I think one thing that Northeastern misses now, even though they have a great year defensively, and James Strew has been great, and Hunter McDonald, the freshman, has been great, and obviously some other pieces as well uh, in the back end on defense. But one thing you're missing now is maybe the leadership besides Struble. Uh, Northeast doesn't have the veteran defenseman leadership like they had in years past. Even though it doesn't show on the ice, maybe, I think every single time you have a guy like Jordan Harris in your locker room, you have an advantage to start. You have a guy that's going to be leader on the ice in the locker room. And Struble picks up great uh, on the ice as well, playing-wise. Uh, and he's, I'm sure he's a great leader as well, too. But there's some of Jordan Harris, the way he carries himself on the ice, off the ice, that just speaks more to him as a player and then as a person as well. Uh, and he's a really nice kid. Met him uh, two or three times. Really good kid, really good player, and I do miss him out there for Northeastern. Uh, probably the most consistent and well all around defenseman I've seen for Northeastern hockey in the you know, 10, 15 years I've been a fan of Northeastern hockey. The last six or seven I've been a bigger fan. The Gaudet days really got me locked in. Um, I'd say he's been the best defenseman overall, which we've had some good ones, but uh, I think he's the best one overall. Jordan Davies was pretty good. Uh, he was pretty good overall. And then there's some other guys in there as well. But I would say Tommy Miller was good last year too. But yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say Jordan Harris is the best defenseman Northeastern's had in the years. I've been a big fan. Uh, but which what I love about this about naming our five players, me and you can name random players just I back know, and yeah. forth. <laughs> Garrett Sasir, Tanner Pond, Jordan, uh, Eric uh, Williams. We could go back and forth all day about just random players, which is great. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jake Thute, the backup goalie. Uh, That'll be my second one right there, Jordan John Harris. John Picking. John Picking. Yeah. John Picking. John Picking. Your boy. You were a big John Picking fan, if I remember I, I right. I am. Yeah, yeah. He was great. He was good. Uh, Austin Goldstein. We could go back and forth oh, all Goldie. day. Goldie. He was a beast. We could go back and forth all day about random plays, which is great. Uh, who do you have as number three? So for number three for me is uh, Primo. Caden uh, Primo. He was de- and just with what he's... With what he was able to do, especially Northeastern, was absolutely phenomenal. Just you know, he he has a lot of the similar characteristics with Levi, with just his natural instinct. But one game I'll always remember: uh, January 2019 against UMass Amherst. 
He made one of the most ridiculous saves. I only caught the tail end of with seconds left to go against uh, UMass Amherst. Sold out building. He made like the save was practically on his head. It, it was absolutely. Oh, he un- was electric. He was. Yeah. That must have been cool because I didn't go to that many games back then. I went to some because it was the yeah. Godette days. I probably went to five to ten, you know, in, in Godette's couple of years there, maybe ten games. I didn't go to every game like I did in the last year or two just because in high school I was busy playing baseball, basketball, it was hard to really find the time as much as I wanted to now. And now it's like, when there's a Northeastern game, I don't care what's going on, I'm there, uh, if I can be. Um, but yeah, I would agree. Primo, probably besides Levi, the best goalie in Northeastern town. And it's close between the two of them. I still think Levi's probably better, but it's pretty close, talent-wise, who is better at Northeastern. But I'd give Levi the edge. Absolutely, for but sure. But he's a respectable uh, you know, number one, or number one goalie and then your third overall. Because if you look at it, he gave us our first win in the bean pot since 1988, gave us a chance to go to the Frozen Four tournament, even though we ended up losing, obviously, to Michigan, gave us a chance to go, and then also was top one or two goalie in college hockey when he was there. So that's a good number three, strong number three. Um, my number three, which probably another another recent player, current player, uh, Sam Colangelo, number three. Huge fan of Colangelo. I think when you watch Colangelo's game, there will be a goal like last year against BC when he had that goal, when me and you were sitting together last year, he had a goal against BC right over BC's goalie, Eric Dopp's right shoulder. It was the third period. We were already up 3-1, to one, I believe. It was a regular season game in February. He had a goal over Dopp's shoulder that it might have been an inch or two of room. I don't even know how he saw there was room above Dopp's shoulder and sniped it. There's just something about Colangelo's game, Colangelo, as you said, that just there's something every single game you see him snipe a shot and you're like, wow. There's not many guys in all of college hockey and not many in the NHL that could snipe as good as he can. So, I'll have Colangelo at number three. Uh, who do you got at number four? And obviously, you're a Colangelo fan. So if you want to comment on Colangelo, you can as well. I know you're a big Colangelo guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Colangelo is just incredible just with what he's able to do in the ice and some of his offensive stylings. But I think number four to me, I, we got to mention one of the Stevens, uh, Nolan Stevens for yep. me. I knew it was Nolan, coming. It's unbelievable. I mean,. And one story I remember, too, was going uh, pregame reception at West End uh, Johnny's where um, uh, it was uh, Nolan Stevens' mom, uh, um, uh, uh, Nolan's uh, girlfriend, and then John Pickens' mom. Mm-hmm. We're all, all gathered together and just we talked for like um, hours on end about hockey just, too. But with Nolan Stevens, it was just an incredible player on the ice, really a true lead, leader, really uh, kept everybody together. And he, he had a great offensive uh, presence as well, too. So, But he just had something special, sort of those... Um, veteran characteristics to really look for in a player. Definitely, no. He was great on and off the ice, uh, especially considering he was a vet. He was, a, you know, leader. I think he was assistant captain or captain. Was he captain? I, I think th- so. Yeah, he was either assistant or captain. Either regardless, it's of a high honor, especially considering Northeastern. They're not going to give that role either one to a player that's not going to be a leader on and off the ice. So he's a very good player to have there. And considering how good we were, you got to have at least a couple guys from that team in your top five. And obviously, you've got Godet and him now, and then even even Primo. Uh, but that's a reason. I mean, God, it's a reason you have season tickets. And then those other guys, I'm sure, contributed as well, too, like Primo, like Stevens, uh, like Sakura. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Garrett Sasser, Jeremy Davies. I mean, we had a squad back then. We really did, yeah, too. And uh, Ryan Ruck, too, uh, was a great goalie, too. Ryan yes, Ruck. Uh, for winning the 2016 Hockey Championship against uh, UMass Lowell. We did, yeah, we did. We went on a run in that. I remember. We went on a run. Ryan Ruck was great. We went on a run. It was right after uh, the uh, Belfast series. I think they played a game in Ireland, too. It was. Right after that, yeah, they had only lost, like, one or two games, like, after that. They were, like, they, they went almost perfect uh, rough shot through the Hockey East after that. Oh, they were locked in. You're right. And another guy from that team that we're mentioning, which I don't know if it'll be my top five, but a very good player and a fan of, Ryan Shea. 
Ryan oh, Shea. Ryan Shea. Oh, my God. I forgot about him. Ryan huh? Shea was an absolute stud. He was great. Um, and so now I'm going to go to my fourth, uh, which you've had some four really good ones. I'm going to have my fourth. We, we overlapped on Goddard. Everything else has been different, but it's fine if we overlap. My fourth, Tyler Madden. I'm sure it'll probably be your fifth or maybe sixth if we were to keep going, uh, which I know you're a big Tyler Madden fan. You were a fan of a celebration. Uh, but you were talking about a celebration. Uh, that goal in overtime is against Providence, right? Or was it uh, UMass? It was UMass Amherst. Was it Amherst? Amherst, yeah. It was either Providence or UMass Amherst. Either team was very good. So I think you're right. It was Amherst. Huge goal at Matthews Arena. I believe it was in 2018. And then had the celebration. Yes, the rowboat celebration. The, one of the uh, best of all time, yeah. It was electric to be there. And one thing about Madden that was just different, just like Gaudette, just like Colangelo, just like even Lund. When you see these guys on the ice, like McDonough, you just see something different in their talent. And with Madden, speed... The ability to shoot, even get a little physical. I mean, he, he played, you know, hot defense as well. His speed is electric on the ice, and he also was a big reason we won the bean pot in 2019, uh, and then also in 2020. He was there for both of them, I believe. So, big reason we won both of them. Even after Gaudet was gone in 2018, we had a chance to win two more bean pots because of him. And then also, I mean, we forgot to mention this: in 2020, we won the bean pot off a of Jordan Harris goal in overtime over BU. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Which I think that was the final semis. I can't remember the semifinals. Can't remember. Was that the finals? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was the uh, semifinals, yeah. And we had a big goal, but I, I just yeah. thought of that because I was thinking of the time of Madden days. But Madden, you were a big fan of as well, so I'm sure he'd be in your fifth or sixth if we were to keep it going. But uh, who do you have at number five? Um, I think uh, number five, probably uh, Madden, probably for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned too. Just, you know, I was there, you know, front row, especially, it was such an, you know, electric experience with the UMass fans, were, I think were like 80% like in the arena too, but just electric. When UMass scored, it was Bedlam. When Northeastern scored, it was Bedlam. But just when the home team won, just that whole place came aloud. You know, the crazies going uh, nuts in the doghouse with no TOT, but I think it was just an absolutely unbelievable night that one that I won't still forget and there's a snowstorm that night too if i remember correctly there so was I, yeah the trains were crazy storm yeah <laughs> you're right there's a snowstorm you always remember you got the weather down the timing that you know who scored yeah, when. Yeah. i love it uh, it's great it shows you're a super fan you obviously remember every game and that's a good thing about going to the mat to going to matthew's arena it's such a historic place there's always a big game every time you're there there's a chance at history or a big game happening uh so that's the great thing about being at matthew's and i love matthew's more than any arena all college hockey is my favorite one and i've been to You've been to a ton, but I've went. I've been to uh, Songus. I was there for UMass Lowell. Uh, I've obviously been to Aganis. I have been to BC, obviously, uh, with Conti Forum. But I would say, and I've probably been to one or two more. I can't really remember. Uh, I've never been to a game at UMass Amherst. But I'd say Matthews Arena's got to be number one. But what about you, your favorite college hockey arena besides Matthews? I'm sure Matthews is one. Yeah, uh, definitely. I would, you know, it's tough. I have to put Aganis at number one, too, just because, you know, with the sight lines there, just concession options there just you know the total view is absolutely incredible it's electric environment too yeah um i put Songus arena at number two just you know just you know for sentimental reasons it just you know just just the sight lines there are, are absolutely phenomenal it just has a great you know arena feel in there too just er everything there is, is phenomenal so i put yeah i put Songus at two okay and the dcu dcu center is probably lower i'd imagine right it's not gonna be top, yeah, yes top yes yeah dcu you know is probably way way down me too it's low in my end too I many the seats yeah. and stuff are all broken down for the most part we're there but hey we were there for the game so didn't yeah. bother us too much but um number five for me which i would agree with you i i'd probably say i'd go matthews arena number one number two it's hard i'd probably go Songus just because i like the way Songus is set up yeah, you, you know it goes high up with the rows, but you can see everything. You have a great angle, no matter where you are on the ice. Even though I love Matthews, if you're on, 
you know, one pot of ice, like, you know, uh, on the, guess the, you know, center ice, but on one side or right before center ice or right before the bench, you can't see the other side of the ice. So if you're sitting, you know, let's say, you know, laterally to Devin Levi, it's going to be hard to see a goal on the other side of the ice. Uh, but at Songus, you can kind of just see everything, which I like. Uh, but Matthews at one, Songus at two. I'll go Conti for him at three. Uh, just because I've seen a lot of games at BC. Always loved Conti for him, even though, as I said, I'm a Northeastern fan first, then BC second. And then fourth, I will go with Gannis. Uh, Gannis, beautiful arena, as you said. Concessions options. And then obviously, even when they're bad, they fill up the house always, which is cool. Um, and now for number five on my list. This is tough. This is hard putting a fifth one because I feel like there's so many guys in play here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know it's for you too. Which we'll do. We'll do a couple honorable mentions uh, as well. Uh, but I'd say for number five, I'm probably Aiden McDonough. Even though it's very close, there's probably three or four guys in play here. Julian Kislin, honorable mention. Uh, Yakov Novak, even though he's a couple years in, honorable mention. Uh, and then also only being one year for Northeastern, TJ Semdefeld are also an honorable mention. And then obviously Dylan Sakura too. But I'll say fifth one, Aiden McDonough. I'm happy he came back for senior year. Once again, another local kid came to Northeastern, shined bright, and has just been a tremendous player his whole career. And now the last two years, great goal scorer, being number two in college hockey last year, being top 10 right now in points once again. Uh, such a great player all around. Happy he came back as a senior. Uh, and what about you for honorable mentions? Aiden McDonough, you can talk about him. You can talk about honorable mentions. What do you got? I think for honorable mentions, for me, I think it would be John Picking. I think he was definitely one player that really uh, uh, stood out, just really had a you know, real tough, gritty uh, texture to him. Uh, Kislin is one, too. I, I remember I, uh, around here I saw one of the hats that he threw. I think it was um, he threw to me uh, on the ice uh, from, I think it was like the Veterans Day game, I think. Yeah, so I remember I they did that, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, then uh, uh, Lorario, too. Lorario was a uh, absolute, Lario, yeah. I mean, I mean, he he was a real tough nose player too. I mean, he really had that real uh, toughness and grittiness to him. De- definitely, no, he was good. And another guy we forgot, which I know me and you are big fans of both, both the big fans of him, Zach Solo. Oh, Solo! How we forgot, forget about him. Oh man. I mean, Eric Williams was great on that team. Zach Solo was great. Uh, and then there's another guy I'm trying to think of. I'm forgetting now. Uh, Brandon Hawkins. Hawk, Hawk, oh Hawk. My God. We were both Hawk guys. Hawk was a beast. Uh, he was he was a stud out there on the ice. And there's another guy from that team, I'm trying to remember now, that, that I know both of us have mentioned. We're like, oh, yeah, no, he was a beast. Grant Josephek, beast. Oh, Jose, oh, my God, we can't. Grant. that team without him, oh, my God. He was a stud. I mean, we just named yeah. the whole team, which I love. Uh, and obviously, your biggest honor to mention, I would agree. Uh, I, I would go with you, with John Picking being a very gritty player. Probably, if you had to pick a number one most underrated player for Northeastern hockey over the years, would it be John Picking? Because I think he was very underrated as well. I think he'd be up there. Probably number one for me, yeah. I would probably have, have him top five, top three probably. I would say Kisslin number one. I think even though he didn't score a goal until his senior year, you always got consistent defensive play. He was good at poke check and getting back on defense. Uh, he was always out there giving it his all, especially in the penalty kill. I mean, he was typically second-line penalty kill. Obviously, it would be Harris and uh, a lot of time last year, Tommy Miller. But he was out there always in that second line giving it his all. And I really liked what I saw from Kisslin last year on offense. So I would say that's pretty good too right there, most underrated uh, Huskies ever. You got uh, obviously my guy Julian Kisslin, your guy Julian Kisslin, and also yep. John Picking as well. Uh, and then obviously me and you were both uh, Hawk guys. Hawk was a beast. Solo was a beast. I mean, too many honorable mentions. We could keep going with guys today. Gunnar Wolf Fontaine. We could go all day. Oh, absolutely for sure. My God, it just go nonstop on and on and on. <laughs> Riley Hughes, Riley Hughes, very underrated. Oh, yeah, Hughesy. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a beast. And also 
One guy we didn't mention, which I know me and you, once again, both fans of him, and I think you're a bigger fan of him than me because you were always liked him, uh, was what's his name? Uh, trying to remember, on the team right now, uh, he hasn't played all this year. We just pointed him out. The, the name just went out of my head. He didn't play much this year, and we just said it the other day. Oh, he hasn't played much. Oh, was it um, Dorrington? It's Dorrington the Beast. It's not Dorrington. It's not Dorrington. Let me see. Oh, uh, Missouri? It's not Missouri either. It just slipped out of my head. Just as I was going to say it to you, it slipped out. Which the guy that was on the team last year and you like him. Oh, Outson. Outie. Outson. Outson. The one guy we couldn't name. We named every player on the team <laughs> ever. Outie. You're a big Outie fan. Yeah, and obviously, yeah, he, hasn't, yeah. he hasn't played as much this year. But a junior will get his chance on the ice, uh, hopefully this year, especially considering uh, he's probably hurt right now. That's part of the reason he's not playing since he played last year. But uh, I like Outie too. Good player. But I know you're a big fan of him. So, uh, anyways, we'll switch off the Northeastern Hockey Talk. Uh, we'll stay on the topic of sports, or we can move on to music. We'll talk about the Niners still. We still have the Niners to talk about. Maybe, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Maybe you can touch on the World Cup for a second if you have a minute. And then I, I also want to talk about your music and your website. So what would you want to move on to really quick? We'll talk about – we have time, but we can talk about the Niners for a few minutes. Talk oh, about Jimmy yeah, G. Yeah, let's do the Niners. Let's do the Niners, yeah. All right, let's talk Jimmy G. Obviously now they're 6-4, and four, big win last night. Now they're tied in the NFC West at 6-4 and four with the Seahawks. Three straight wins for Jimmy G. Uh, they won last night 38-10 over the Cardinals, destroyed them on Monday Night Football. 21 unanswered points in the second half for Jimmy G. 20-29 passing, four touchdowns, 228 yards. And then also found Kittle for a couple touchdowns. Ayuk uh, for a couple touchdowns. McCaffrey, who they just got in that trade uh, just about a month ago now. Seven carries, 39 yards. Also added seven catches with 67 yards. Shanahan's been using him in the slot, using him very well. What have you seen out of the Niners? What have you seen out of Jimmy G? I know you're a big fan of Jimmy G, so I'm sure you're happy seeing him get a chance to shine yet again uh, for the Niners like he has now for the last three or four years. Yeah, absolutely. I think what I've seen from Jimmy G, especially in the last few weeks, is just how comfortable he is in the pocket, just his presence, and just being able to get the ball out quick, quicker than I've ever seen before. I think that's the thing. I think with Jimmy, just, you know, obviously, you know, you know, turnovers and interceptions are, are a problem for him, which I think he's only had three or so this year. I'm trying to remember. I forget He doesn't how many. have many. I can check his stats overall, but yeah, he doesn't have many. Yeah, so, but I just think with Jimmy, he's more comfortable in the pocket. He, uh, uh, he has so many weapons at his uh, disposal right now. He's so many more... Uh, um, notches in the arsenal just you know more options to throw to i think he's gonna be more comfortable too you know especially as we get later in the season too and again we're perfect in the division four now we still got two more divisional games one more against the seahawks one more against the cardinals so Big i think ones. yeah so i think we're that really sets us up well moving forward just more weapons especially the games uh kind of you know the saints is gonna be a, a good one this dolphins is gonna be a tough one yeah and then and then box and then at seahawks uh, commanders, then at Raiders, then we face the Cardinals again to close out the year. So I think I'm, I'm really hopeful for uh, Jimmy G and the Niners. I think they, they definitely got a good shot, especially the NFC now, which is, you know, the Eagles are definitely on top, and then it's a bunch of other teams mixed in too. I think the Niners will be able to separate themselves from the pack. I would go, I honestly think the Niners have a good shot. Up until this week, I thought they were a good team. I didn't think maybe winning the NFC. But what I saw them this past week, like you just said, they have so many weapons. Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Jimmy G's a good quarterback. They got Trent Williams, good left, great left tackle, I should say. Very good quarterback, Jimmy G. Obviously, he's gone them to the Super Bowl before. I mean, they have a good team around him. And if you look at the division, like you said, it's really them and the Seahawks. The Rams are done. The Cardinals are done. They have a chance right now, a window to still win. And no one really thought Jimmy G was going to be back this year, considering Trey Lance is supposed to be the guy. Then Lance obviously goes down. And now he's obviously stepped back into the role and has been great. And I think that obviously speaks to his uh, strength as a player and then obviously his strength uh, mentally as well. It's hard to stay 
on a team that wanted to get ready the whole offseason, wanted to move on from because they were going with Trey Lance. It shows how much mental strength he has because he said, okay, I'll accept my role as a backup. Maybe I'll get my chance. Maybe I won't. And now he's succeeding yet again. It's 15 touchdowns to four picks. So not many picks. Considering 15 touchdowns, four of them last night. Uh, in his last four games, eight touchdowns, no picks. Last three that games. Is, last is, three uh, games. Yes. Last three games. Rams, Chargers, Cardinals, three touchdowns, no picks. Pretty impressive. Un- freaking believable. I mean, he. And then last week he ran in for a touchdown. Yeah, he really is just absolutely phenomenal. Especially the shoulder surgery that he had in the off season, which was definitely sourced some debate because I, I guess uh, the team didn't give him permission to get the shoulder surgery, but he went ahead and, and got it anyway. But it, it really seems to have done wonders for him. So. Definitely, and he looks great. And also, one thing that's Jimmy G related, but all, the nine is really the most part. As I saw a cool statistic. The Niners winning last night handed them the most Monday Night Football wins of all time, 52, which is wow. crazy. Which it shows they have a lot of chances to, you know, if you have 52 Monday Night Football wins, that means you get a chance to watch Monday, to be on Monday Night Football a lot. And the other four teams that are in that top five, Steelers with 51, Cowboys with 49, Dolphins with 43, Raiders with 42. Uh, and obviously it plays a role uh, with being a big <laughs> franchise, a big market like San Francisco. You have a big fan base people want to watch, and obviously that helps. And I think that's just a side statistic I thought was cool to mention. But I think the Niners have a chance. I, I would take the Niners, honestly, over the Eagles right now. I think the Cowboys and the Niners right now, which I think the Eagles are probably third, even though the Eagles have the best record in the NFC. Right now, if I'm picking between two teams I think the NFC championship is going to be, it would probably be Cowboys-Niners. I think they're playing the best football right now. Absolutely, for sure. No question about it, too. They're playing the best football, and like you said, Jimmy G has so many weapons, so many ways he can beat you. It's going to be tough to stop Kittle, McCaffrey, Ayuk, and Debo Sim if all of them stay healthy. Obviously, Ayuk's been healthy for the most part of his whole career, but Kittle's had injuries, McCaffrey's had injuries, Debo Samuel's gone banged up before even though he plays for the most part. That's three guys right there. You keep them healthy, and obviously Ayuk as well, and Jimmy G, and Trent Williams. They're going to be a scary team come playoffs. And especially, you know, you know, with um, uh, Fred Warner, too, the linebacker core the Niners have. Oh, that he's a beast. Is, you know, it, it, it's absolutely the best in football. It, oh, he's a beast. That's what's really going to set him apart. And then also Elijah Mitchell, the running back. He's pretty good, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a good team all around, and I'm excited to see what they do. And like you said, Jimmy G, give him the time. Obviously, he's gone to the Super Bowl for them before. This could be another year for the Niners. You never know. Absolutely. Sure, yeah. I have high hopes. Fingers crossed. You're a big <laughs> Jimmy G fan. I respect that. I, and, hey, that's what I love. You, you like a lot of plays, you like a lot of teams, and you follow every single one actively, like Northeastern Hockey. You can name every player just like you can probably for the Niners. Uh, and also, you're a Bruins fan. You, you also follow a lot of soccer. I mean, you probably follow every team to the highest of your ability and know every player. So yeah. You're a sports fanatic, and that's great, just like me. It's awesome. Um, we'll transition really quick uh, to the Bruins before we switch over to the World Cup really quick before we talk about your music as well, uh, your music website. The World Cup. We're going to talk about just after the Bruins. We're going to talk about the Bruins really quick. 17-2 on the year, number one record in the NHL. We talked about, talked about them a little bit another, the other night at the Northeastern game. What have you seen out of the Bees this year? The Bees are just, you know, really firing all cylinders, especially, you know, with Pasta, with Marchand, and, of course, you know, Bergeron as well. Uh, I just think, you know, the Bruins are just unstoppable. They're on a mission this year, and that's uh, to go all the way to the Cup and win it. So Definitely. I think and I think with the coaching this year, the coaching change, Jim Montgomery is coach, that's really, you know, set them over the edge, too. I think that's really a huge part of their success. Yeah, Monty's think, been great. Yeah, yeah. And I think with Cassidy last year, I think a lot of the players lost respect for Cassidy last year, just, you know, with some of his silings or just his whole coaching philosophy. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but yeah. I think 
this with Montgomery this year. He's really settled down. He's really had a very laid-back, conservative approach, to which I kind of liked, and it's really done the Bruins wonders. Definitely. I mean, it's worked out, too, for Vegas. Obviously, they have the third or fourth best record in the NHL, so I guess it worked out for both teams, obviously, both sides, I should say. It worked <clears> out for Cassie to move on, and it also worked out for the Bruins as well. Getting Jim Montgomery has been great. Obviously, had some coach experience in the past as well so he came in with a little bit of leadership experience and a little bit veteran uh you know experience as well being on a couple franchises and being uh with some teams as a coach and assistant as well and now he comes to a team like the Bruins with so much talent it's hard here's the thing I talked about this with the LA Clippers before too when you have so much talent, just like the Clippers do, just like the Bruins, it's actually hard to coach because you don't know how to adjust the lines, how many minutes each guy to get, how many t- right. how many minutes on the ice for each guy. It's hard to split that up. It seemed like Montgomery has been doing great with that. He's he really has, great. yeah. Sure, yeah. And the Bruins are deep. I mean, they won last night 5-3 of the Lightning. <clears throat> huge win. And they also hold right now the best goal differential in the NHL, 80 goals for, 40 goals against, a plus 40 differential, which the next closest in the NHL is the Devils with the plus 29. And then if you look at the Atlantic Division, which is usually dominated by, by a couple of teams like the Lightning. They're always in there, too. The closest goal in the Toronto Maple Leafs as well, always good. The closest differential, goal differential in the Atlantic Division, besides the Bruins at plus 40, is Toronto with a plus 5 differential. So wow, it just shows them. Yeah, yeah. The Bruins have been dominating, dominating this year overall. And like you said, this could be the year to, to make a run again. I mean, it just worked out for them, it seems like, right? They're they're a team on a mission too, so that, I don't think there's anything that can stop them. So I mean, hopefully they just stay healthy. That's the only thing, right? You just want to stay healthy, and I mean, we'll have to challenge Tampa, you know, in the Eastern Conference. So I mean, in that, the Eastern that, Conference, exactly. Yeah, and that's the thing. At the end of the day, you do still have some good teams in this conference, in this division, especially considering, like you said, Tampa Bay is always good. Montreal's been a little bit better this year, nine eight and one. Uh, obviously, Jordan Harris is there as well. We're big fans of him. Tampa Bay, though, being able to beat them yesterday. That's huge. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And especially trailing in the game, now winning 5-3. to three. They were down one nothing, and then Krejci tied it up. But a uh, huge win for the Bees. Excited to see what they, what they do, and they've been dominating. Um, now we'll move on really quick to the World Cup. Tough game for the U.S., tying Wales yesterday. But a positive from that game is even – I like Wales' team. I like the way they play the game. I actually had them making a little bit of run in the World Cup. But I like what the U.S. did in the first half. Played very quick, very fast-paced. Then in the second half, when Wales jumped to stop playing, you know, quick paced and started playing with the with the highest speed, higher intensity, the U.S. played a little bit more conservative and played more defense. So I thought maybe that hurt them a little bit. But at the end of the day, tying wasn't the best case scenario. But now it comes down to obviously winning, you know, obviously beating Iran, and then maybe who knows what they do against England. But comes might come down to that goal differential, considering if both Wales and the U.S. beat Iran and lose to England, it might come down to the goal differential. But what did you see in that game against Wales? I know you love uh, Pulisic. You're a big fan of him. He had a couple tough uh, injuries, but hopefully he's all right. Obviously, he came out of the game at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you see out of the USA team yesterday? I thought that you know Team USA started out strong too. They were definitely you know moving you know all over the field. They were they really made their presence known. You know, especially Pulisic. I thought Pulisic got a couple good chances. You know, early on in the first half too. I thought he would be the first one to score the goal, but but you know when they when they scored it, I mean it's just bedlam. I was watching at um, a ninety nine uh, restaurant too, and there was a few other people in there too. But I was uh, going a little nuts in there. But it, it really, yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It really was just, you know, unbelievable the way they done the first half. Then the second half, you know, I think, as you mentioned, they got a little bit passive. They kind of 
change their approach a little bit, which I don't agree with. You know, if it worked in the first half, why not in the second half? Just keep things the way they are. I think Burhalter, you know, I, I don't really, you know, too, know too much about him. I think he kind of, you know, lost it a, a little bit in the second half. Yeah. <laughs> On that, especially when Bale scored the penalty shot, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So Yeah, that was a big goal for Bale. Um, that actually ended up being his uh, 41st goal ever uh, for Wales in uh, 34 of them coming competitive matches. So 85% of his goals have come in big games, competitive games for Wales. And that was their first goal in the World Cup since 1958. So obviously that was a big turning point in the game. That was huge. Them tying it, obviously off the penalty kick. You never want to really – I mean, they didn't lose the game technically. It was a tie. But you never want to have – a game be decided on a penalty kick. And that's ultimately what that game was decided on, was a penalty kick. Uh, so tough, obviously, for the U.S. But I think at the end of the day, one positive of the U.S. is when Wales started turning it up in that second half, Wales could have scored multiple times. It could have been 3-1, 2-1. Absolutely, one. yeah. There were so many times where I think it, it did go in. And, and our, Matt Turner is an incredible goalie. He played great. I played for the Revs, and you know he's with Arsenal now. So He played for the Revs, yeah, I saw that, which is pretty cool. Uh, and obviously yeah. he played great yesterday, made a couple terrific saves, and Wales... In the second half, got a lot of shots on net. They had six or seven shots total in the game to the U.S.'s six. I didn't think that was the case. I thought, before I looked at the stats today, I thought it was like maybe 10 to 8 the U.S. I thought they might have been leading. Wills actually outshot the U.S. 7 to 6. So at the end of the day, and a lot of those shots were good opportunities by Wills, you'll take the 1-1 tie. At least it wasn't a 2-1 to loss. Hopefully, now you beat Iran by two or three goals. Maybe give England a game, lose maybe one to nothing, or maybe even win. Who knows? You never know. Saudi Arabia today beat Argentina. You never know that what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Which is awesome. I mean, at the end of the day, you always want to see an underdog beat a powerhouse, unless it's your team being the powerhouse. But you always want to see the underdog win. I thought that was awesome today for Argentina, or for Saudi Arabia getting the win over Argentina. So who knows? I mean, they play England 2 o'clock. Uh, is the US, U.S.'s next game? England at 2 o'clock on Friday. What do you think about that game? I mean, obviously England's going to be favored. England's obviously a powerhouse as well uh, in the huck, in the soccer world, just like uh, Argentina is. But anything can happen, you feel like, correct? I, I think so, too. And especially, you know, with this game, I think, you know, uh, Team USA has a lot to learn, especially, you know, from the Wales match. I think with this one in England, which, of course, you know, England's going to be, you know, heavily favored. I think USA is just going to, you know, start out like, like game busters, you know, right uh, from the first half. I think, you know, starting there and, of course, you know, maintaining that trans transition in the second half is uh, what I think will really set them apart. And, and, you know, I definitely have high hopes to it, especially with what England has to but with Mount, Rice, uh, Gallagher, everybody that they have. Obviously, I know their names because they're all Chelsea players because Chelsea's uh, Premier League, so I know... Uh, yeah, you're uh, a big Chelsea fan, right? Yeah, I remember yeah, that. that. Okay. Right, My yeah, sister's right. a big Liverpool fan, so you wouldn't be a fan, probably. Yeah, yeah, no, no. You that, wouldn't be that, a Liverpool that, fan, unfortunately, yeah. but they got some good players as well. But yeah, you know a lot of those England players from following Chelsea, which is pretty cool, and you're a big Chelsea, Northeastern, and Niners fan, right? Those are your three teams? Three Those biggest. Correct, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Three biggest. We follow everything else. We follow the Bruins as well uh, and stuff like that. But you, you do also stay loyal to your top three, which is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, no, England's very solid all around. They can score goals. They can play to a quick intensity. They can play that conservative game and still score goals. I think it might be a tough game, but at the end of the day, you never know what's going to happen. And I think if the U.S. were to lose this game, at least keep it close goal differential-wise, lose 2-1. to one. Maybe if you're going to lose, lose 1-0, 2-1, to one, maybe 3-2. to two. Only lose by a goal if you're going to lose. Because at the end of the day, you want to keep that goal differential in place in case Wales loses to England as well. But they're going to beat Iran. Eh, I mean, you never know. That's another thing. I mean, I'm talking like it's automatic we're going to beat Iran and automatic Wales is going to beat Iran. But you want to at least put yourself in a good position if you were to lose this game, limit it to one goal. Because England's good. England's good. They just won 6-2 to two in their first game over Iran. So they're good. 
They're a powerhouse, yeah. They are. And obviously you're a Chelsea fan, so you know all those guys, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Which is awesome. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I like Liverpool because my sister and they've had a, a tough year, unfortunately. But uh, it's all good, though. We'll see what happens uh, for, in, in this. Obviously, I think this means probably more uh, than, yeah. than a regular season game in uh, the Premier League, even though that's huge. But it seems like the World Cup brings the entire world together. I feel like every player would rather win this than, you know, win, which I think they want to win in, you know, the Premier League as well. But I think at the end of the day, if they could pick winning for their country or winning for, you know, a club team, I think they're all going to pick winning for their country. It seems like everyone's just more passionate about that, you know. So I'm sure they're all psyched. Uh, it should be a big match. But like you said, I think it's about trying to limit, since they have so many goal scores and stuff like that, it's just trying to play our game at the same time. You know a lot of those guys have a chance to score like Gallagher. They have so many good players. Gallagher, like you mentioned, it's going to be a tough game for probably the U.S. than it was Wales because England's going to get a lot of shots on goal. But at the end of the day, you never know who's going to win. Just like Argentina today probably thought they were going to suit up and get a win against Saudi Arabia. You never know. When you step on that field, you never know what's going to happen. Absolutely. And I think with uh, Pulisic, too, I think, you know, Pulisic and Mount are teammates. So I think if Pulisic knows what Mount knows, I think that sort of gives Team USA an added advantage. You're right. right. Pulisic's a stud. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. He's a great player. He gives it his all in. He did have a couple of tough falls last game, but you know, he battled through a couple of them, and hopefully he's 100% come Friday. Now he has you know, two and a half, three days uh, to get ready for that, uh, which I'm excited to see what happens there. But uh, anything else you want to mention in the World Cup? Any predictions? Any team you got going all the way? My prediction was England versus Brazil in the finals. That was what my uh, podcast prediction was. If you have a team, have a couple teams you got. Uh, I think probably a team that I see going far is probably France, I think. I, okay. I because I know France is playing Australia on Friday, so I think France is definitely you know higher up, uh, definitely a team I, I see advancing. Oh, they're good. They got a four-one win today over uh, Australia. Australia was up in the first nine minutes, had a goal at the nine-minute mark, the fastest goal actually in the whole entire World Cup tournament so far this year. And then France scored four straight unanswered goals, one of them from uh, one of them from Kylian Mbappe, very good player, obviously very talented all around, and then two two from Olivia uh, Olivier Giroud, excuse me, Olivier Giroud, Giroud. Giroud from Chelsea. Oh yes, my God. he's a beast. Two goals from him. He now has fifty one goals uh, internationally for France, which is tied for first all time uh, in France's history, which is pretty cool. Uh, so Giroud, great game for him, and he actually helped them win the World Cup in twenty eighteen. So I'm sure he's going to try to do it again. But yes, Olivier Giroud, your boy. Uh, Chelsea's stud, two goals today. So obviously he's staying hot on the field uh, for France like he is for Chelsea as well. Are you, is that your favorite player, Chelsea? Um, oh, boy. I mean, there's so many favorites. I, I would definitely say uh, uh, David Luiz was uh, my favorite Chelsea player okay. starting off years back. But uh, Giroud would probably be a close second for me. Oh, he's a stud, two goals. Huge. Yeah, he did. He was, he yeah. was really good. And then there were a couple other games today that nothing really happened in. Uh, Mexican and Poland tied 0-0, so they both draw a point each. Uh, but the interesting thing with that is that that's Group C, and Saudi Arabia is now number one in that group at three points. So at the end of the day, if they could just maybe win one of those games against Mexico or Poland, and then maybe even lose the other, they'll probably be in Saudi Arabia at the group of 16, the round of 16. Absolutely. Yeah, anything could happen. Which is pretty cool. And then Denmark, Tunisia, and Group D had a draw today, 0-0. Uh, and then that other game was that major upset 2-1 to one for Saudi Arabia. So we really broke down all of the big games, which is pretty cool. Uh, but Saudi Arabia only had three shots on goal the whole game, right? Three shots the whole game, three total. Well, I think all three of them were on target. And two of them were goals, which is awesome. Two out of three shots were goals, which is crazy. And then you look at Argentina, 15 shots. They possessed the ball for 70% of the game. Saudi Arabia gets the win 2-1, to one, only possessing the ball for 30% of the game with only three shots. Which is nuts. 
That is wild. <laughs> Which is nuts. And Argentina, the lead, I mean, they were up one nothing after a, a Lionel Messi goal to start the game in the first 10 minutes. And then Saudi Arabia, two goals uh, in a five-minute window, the 48-53 minute mark, uh, took the lead, never looked back. And with the crazy thing about that game is that they were heavy, heavy underdogs, which everyone thought. But they were plus 2,500 money lines. So if someone were to bet $10 for fun, they would have won $250 on Saudi Arabia. So crazy, though, that obviously Argentina was such heavy favorites. No one would have given Saudi Arabia a chance in Vegas or in real life in general. Uh, and they got the win. So who knows about Friday, England versus the U.S.? You never know. The way to spend the day after Thanksgiving. So Exactly. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, before we jump to the – we, we can do actually the Thanksgiving foods. I, I've been doing a little bit of ranking now. The last couple uh, episodes I've done last Tuesday and last Wednesday uh, on my podcast – and then one of my radio shows last Tuesday, uh, I did a ranking with whoever I had on as a guest, top three uh, Thanksgiving foods or side dishes, uh, desserts, whatever it may be. So keep that in mind for the ending. We'll come to that at the end. Okay. Uh, but I want to talk about your music website. You've been doing that for 13 years, writing about, as I said, so many Boston local artists. How has it been doing that? Obviously, now you're 13 years in, so you've met probably a million artists. You had the chance to talk to so many. What's it like and what do you love doing about it? I think probably what do you the, love about doing it? I you know the yeah, subject of yeah, that I swear yeah, about, but you yeah, know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, the thing I just love the most about it again is just you know uh, getting a chance to meet and interact with all these artists, whether it be in person, you know, doing interviews like both in person or you know over the phone. It, it just really is an incredible honor just to, you know hear about their story because I think that's really what's most important too is just you know hear about the story, how they create music, their creative process, you know. Um, you know what styles? Uh, what styles uh, did they want to emulate? Just literally everything about the artist, and just you know, just one swoop and writing the articles too, and, and the interviews and the podcast. And then I have a Facebook Live I do every Friday, and just to really see it evolve from when I first when I first started the site back in '09, it was just for album reviews. But I never would have thought it would have come to this. You know, 13 years later, all the artists I've met, you know, especially the Boston area and even beyond, and even some from across the pond in the UK, it really. It really boggles the mind, really, that I've come this far and just really the impact it's had on so many artists, and you know, locally and beyond, too. It really is an honor, and it just I'm really so thankful for all the artists I've interviewed and met and come across along Definitely. the way. And I think it's honestly a great platform. You give artists a chance, smaller artists, like even my friend Mark Walsh. He's never been on a podcast before. You gave him a chance to talk on a podcast, talk about his music, talk about how he's come about making his songs, writing songs, who his music inspirations were. What does he do in his free time? Northeastern hockey. I mean, you give people a platform to talk about themselves as an artist, how they start out loving music, and then you also give them the chance to talk about their life outside of music and what their other <coughs> passions are. And it's really cool. I mean, you've been doing great things with your podcast. Uh, 381 episodes now on Spotify, which is nuts. I don't know how you... I'm at like 75 right now, which I think is a lot. <laughs> 381 episodes on Spotify over the years. Uh, and then also, like you said, you started out just reviewing albums from Boston local artists, you know, right outside of Boston. And at the end of the day, that's done in 2009. It's branched out into writing articles online on your website. And now it's branched all the way out to Facebook Lives and podcast episodes. And what do you like about the podcast? Do you just love being able to talk to the artists, obviously ask them about their free time and learn more about how they made songs? Yeah, pretty much just with the artists uh, and, and doing the interview series, which I started doing a little bit. Uh, I started the podcast in 2013, um, and I did interviews intermittently because uh, it shows and like music related topics. But uh, I started the interview thing, uh, switch over the interview format full time in 2017. And from there, I just really, you know, really d dig 
really delve deep and so really the artists who they are um just their whole creative process and uh, look at the artists a little bit of a different way because i think with one way of seeing the artists like reading art about them but literally when you interview them in, in that type of setting too you really get a whole different understanding of like who they are as musicians and as regular people too because i think with some musicians like sometimes they're a little bit different than on on like whether it be on stage or off stage, but I think with the the, um, the podcast interviews, I, I really you know come to realize that they're pretty much all well one and the same. I think that's what's really like most important, just seeing you know how hard they work or their craft because it really is a livelihood for them. That some have like you know regular jobs like during the day, but some musicians do. It's really their livelihood and their love, life, blood, and passion. So I think it's really just about bringing that passion up to the forefront uh, for doing the interviews with these artists. Definitely, I think the great thing about your uh, whole music genre uh, realm is that you cover so many artists of different genres too. Like which we talked about the other day, Mark Walsh doesn't have a specific genre really. He's kind of in the middle of uh, a couple things we saying, like a pop, then also maybe an indie too. He's kind of in the mix of those. A little pop of R&B and a little uh, touch of hip hop too. A touch so. of hip hop, yeah, that's that's what it was. That was the hip hop is the other one you said it wasn't indie, but yeah, I think that's what you look at is you really give artists of all different genres, all different backgrounds, music wise, all different talents the chance to come on and talk about their music. And like Mark, like I said, every artist is going to love the ability to come on and have a chance to talk on a podcast about their music. Since if you're not, you know, the biggest artists that are on TV and every day, you don't really have a platform to talk about your music unless you go on a podcast with someone or, you know, talk to a writer or someone's going to write an article about you. And you could do both of those, which is great. And that's awesome. And I think at the end of the day, 13 years of putting in the work, I'm so happy you've gotten the chance to be nominated for that Boston Music Awards, it's rightfully so. You deserve the Music Publication of the Year Award. I mean, I don't know how you haven't gotten it yet, but this is the year, and my whole family, everyone's going to be voting for you. I'm telling everyone, which is great. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. Yeah, I appreciate Which is great. That. And I love the podcast episode. I think it's a great way to learn about the artists. And then also, at the end of the day, you hear, oh, this artist likes doing that. This in his free time. I like doing that, too. And then you check out his music. It's a good way to promote the artist and even promote your brand, too. It's a nice, you know, mutual beneficial relationship, which is great. Uh, and I love what you've been doing with the writing as well. You're a great writer, too. I didn't even know you did the writing. I thought it was just a podcast at first because I know we talked about it maybe in March or April of last year. Uh, at a Northeastern game probably in March. I, I, you, you know, we talked about my podcast and yours. I didn't realize you wrote for so long, too. Oh, yeah. I've been writing since, like, the very beginning, yeah. Because I saw a podcast, 381 episodes. I just figured that was all. I didn't know you wrote, too. I figured it was just the podcast, and I thought maybe you wrote a little bit. But you started out writing, which is awesome. And obviously, it's a passion writing for you, and just like podcasting, similar to me in sports. You know, I love writing what's what's talking about sports, just like you like doing it about sports and music as well. Uh, just like you like doing it with music and then talking sports. I mean, we have all, we all have our passions, and you obviously took advantage of that for 13 years now covering artists in the local Boston area, which is unreal. That's awesome. That's oh, thank awesome. You. Yeah, it really is an honor. So I, I just, I, again, I never really, I, I never would have imagined, would have, you know, 13 years, I would, I would still be doing this. Just literally, it's an honor. And just, you know, with all the artists I've, you know, come across over the years, it really is, especially, you know, with uh, times like this too, where artists, you know, just really trying to make a livelihood out of themselves, just trying to get get their music heard, just, you know, playing local shows, you know, I'm just glad that I'm still being able to do this and be a resource, you know, for uh, musicians. Definitely. You have so many connections. I mean, if you look at it, 381 episodes is a ton. And then adding all the guys you probably didn't have on your podcast, you just wrote about or met. I mean, you've met probably thousands and thousands and thousands of it's artists. It's close to a thousand now, yeah. Probably, I'd imagine. I mean, you went to so many concerts too and music festivals and you were at that one a few weeks ago when 
uh, Northeastern played UMass Lowell like a month ago. You were at a music oh, yeah. festival, right? Uh, Summit Indie Fest in Portsmouth, yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah, you were there. You were there for the weekend, right? Was it was a weekend or just uh, a I was just about one day. So. One day, Saturday got you. But you, you put yourself out there to try to meet new artists and obviously give them a chance to talk about their music. And similar to me, I like you know giving people a chance that are athletes to talk about you know their games and all that and being able to cover them on the podcast. I think it's cool when you have someone a chance you know, to talk about themselves and talk about their interests. And it's an interest for you just like it's an interest for me. You talking about music just like it's an interest for me talking about sports, uh, which is great. So it's awesome what you've been doing. Hopefully you win that. I mean, truly, I don't know anyone else that deserves it more. Putting in 13 years, all the episodes, 381 episodes, the thousands and thousands of articles and every single concert you've gone to to give yourself a chance to just meet another artist and get another perspective on the podcast and on the website. I mean, just absolutely nuts. I don't know how you've done that many episodes. 381 is nuts. I don't know how I do it either, too. It's just magic. Because most of the episodes I usually record, like, either the day of or the day before. So it's really putting together quickly, especially one Because most of my episodes are around, like, half an hour or, like, 22 minutes, uh, however long they are. But just literally, like, either the day before or the day of, you know, I get everything ready, so... Which is awesome, though. No, no, you've done great with it, and I think at the end of the day, keep doing that. Keep doing what you love. At the end of the day, it's it's now starting to really show, and this, considering now the Boston Music Awards see it, too, it's now to show to everyone. It should have shown to everyone before, but now you're finally getting that recognition, which is awesome. Which is Thanks. awesome. You deserve it. And as yeah. I said, I'm going to repeat it one more time. BostonMusicAwards.com slash vote. Go all the way down. It is at the bottom, I believe, right towards the bottom of the middle. Music Publication of the Year. Select Music Box Pete. One vote per email address. You got a couple email addresses? Throw them in. Do yes. every email address you got. Yes, please. <laughs> Do every email address you got. Music box, Pete. Um, anyway, so uh, the music, it's obviously great talking about that, talking Northeastern hockey. All that's a pleasure. I'd love to have you come back on and do that anytime. Uh, it's really great. I mean, at the end of the day, you follow Northeastern hockey to the same degree I do. And no one does. No one else it's is really that big a super fan. No one else understands how we feel about it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's honestly great, and it's a pleasure having you come on here. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You've already given me an hour and a half here plus, or an hour and 20 minutes at least. But I want to ask you this, and I've been doing this now the last few episodes. Top three Thanksgiving dishes, side dishes, desserts. What do you got? I'll give you my top three so you can think for a second. Last week, I think I had stuffing at one. Uh, number two, I believe, I'm trying to remember right here. It's actually hard to remember. I think I had stuffing at one. I think I had crescent rolls at two, I believe, because they're unreal. And then number three, I had this like pudding pie my mom makes at three. What do you got for your top three? Oh, so what's up? Uh, number one for me is mashed potatoes and gravy. I mashed probably. potatoes uh, I had. That's what I had at yeah, two. It wasn't the crescent rolls. You got to have that at one. Uh, stuffing at two for me. Uh, three is probably going to be a little controversial. Some people hate it. I happen to like is the uh, green bean casserole. So Okay, some people, yeah, we had a little bit of controversy over that last week. I think we had a... Uh, a dish that people weren't big fans of that everyone loved, like an overrated dish or something you thought was good but not as good as everyone else thought. And I think that was one of them someone picked and someone else might have argued to your side saying it was good. Green bean casserole. Okay. Do you have an overrated dish that you're not well, a big fan of that everyone likes? Or one I, that think, I think probably me, uh, probably squash. I, I've never been a big like squash guy. I, I know it's hugely popular there. I just... For squash, I never. I, I thought it was just so horribly overrated. I like squash, but yeah, I think it's maybe to the degree everyone says it, it's probably a little bit overrated. But I do like it. Um, I don't. Know, I'll probably go a little dessert here. I think I had a different answer last week. I don't know what I had last week. I think I had yams. That's not really that big of a popular dish, anyways. Um, yeah. I think I'll go apple pie. I think it's good, but I think it's slightly overrated with considering how everyone. I've just it. eaten so much apple pie over the years. I know how it tastes, so it's like exactly. 
Exactly. I think that, that's probably the best way to put it, that it's good, but maybe a little bit overhyped. Um, and so now we've talked Thanksgiving dishes. One last thing. Now we're going to give a, a top music. Uh, do you have a favorite genre of music? Number one, number two, number three. Do you have a top three genre uh, list or no? Because you like uh, everything. Like, yeah, I probably like for, number one for me probably is like alternative and indie, just like within that genre. Just it's what I grew up listening to, like Nirvana, Green Day, back in the day. And then just uh, come to evolve from uh, music I'm listening to now, like Vampire Weekend, Foster the People, Two Door Cinema Club. Those bands. You like so, Two Door Cinema Club? They're good. Yes. My family yeah, like Tudor awesome. Cinema Club. That's awesome. I know I know uh, Tudor Cinema Club. Absolutely. That's awesome. Oh, awesome. Great. Oh, man, my man. <laughs> That's cool. That's great. Now, my sister liked Tudor Cinema Club a lot. And a lot of those artists that are from abroad, like the 1975, you know the 1975? Yeah, uh, my, yeah. sis- my sister was a big fan of them from the start. Uh, so my family and I love them. And Tudor Cinema Club's... Uh, they're, they're a band from Europe, right? If I believe right? Yeah, they're from Ireland. Yeah. Ireland, was it? Okay, exactly. So yeah, she likes a lot of those European artists. So uh, it's pretty funny you know that. That's awesome. That's great. That's yeah. great. But that's cool. So you got that obviously at number one. Uh, number two for me, uh, which I've been getting to more in over the years, is country, which is a genre I never thought that I really loved, but it, it's really seemed to have taken over, especially my good buddy Troy Cartwright uh, is a country artist originally from Texas. actually went out to school here at Berkeley College of Music, so awesome. he's actually a close friend of mine, yeah. Uh, Chris Rudiger is a, a close friend of mine, too. Uh, he went to school here. I think he went to, like, Concord Carlisle High School, but um, and then he went to Vanderbilt, but he's a country artist in the making. Um so many great country artists are just, you know, sprouting up and just, it's, it's one genre that I just, I can't get enough of. I respect yeah. that. I'll give you my first and second before you give you a third. Uh, so my first one, I'd probably go rap overall, even though over the years, I'm starting like some other genres right up there with rap. I'll probably go rap one. I've always loved rap my whole life. And I've mentioned a few artists to you before, Kodak Black, Lil Yachty, big fans of both of them. Um, but there's a ton of artists in there I love uh, that are right up there with them. Uh, and then number two, I'd probably say pop. That's probably my second uh, favorite genre. And then my third, which we talked about this the other night, uh, and we were talking about this the other night, I mentioned a few artists to you, like Genesis and U2, classic rock. Mm-hmm. That's my number three. What about you? Yeah, I think with classic rock, it uh, would definitely be the same for me, like number three, like with Pink Floyd, like Led Zeppelin, uh, those bands, uh, just, I, yeah, I think a little bit of Aerosmith too, just you know, a little bit of Creedence Clearwater Revival, The Eagles, uh, the Doors, like all those artists. The Eagles, yeah, absolutely. The Eagles, great, for sure. Legends right yeah. there. But yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. I think you can't ever go wrong with classic <laughs> rock. I feel like whether you're trying to get ready for a game, you're just walking down the street, you're walking around the park, you're doing homework, anytime, doing anything, you know, you're doing work as well, besides homework, you can play classic rock anytime. It gets you going, right? It gets the blood it pumping. Energy, too. It really, it really gives you the extra mojo, yeah. It gets the blood pumping. And then for country music, I was never the biggest fan of country. I was critiquing it for a while, for years, and then... I, it was just like, I liked some country songs. Five, six, seven, eight, a handful of country songs, right? And then now, over the past few months, I'm starting to like country a little more. Maybe I was hating on it for, for the wrong reasons. I think it's actually... It really some good songs. Yeah. Doesn't it grow one? I mean, there's some good artists out there, too. You know, I like Morgan Wallen. That's probably my favorite now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot out there. And then you have some friends that do country music, which is great. So that's an easy way to get into into the genre and be a fan of it, which is awesome. Absolutely. You know, which is great. But uh, I'd say it's a pretty good top three for both of us. And there's a lot of flavor in both genres, a lot of a lot of variety here between mine and yours. And obviously we agree on the classic rock, even the country. That's probably my, uh, you know, my notable mention is country. I guess it's in there, uh, which is pretty yeah. cool. I would never have said that last year at this time, but it's starting to grow on me a little more. Um, maybe it's just because I was too into rap and never really considered it. But there's a lot of good artists out there. I think that's a great thing about your podcast. There's so many music artists that are out there that are so talented 
that is under the radar and nobody talks to and nobody you know gets on their podcast and nobody promotes. And that's what I love about your podcast. You're giving people a place to go and talk about their music and a platform. And I'm happy I have the chance to have you on here right now. It's an honor having you on here right now to talk about your music and everything you do, which is great. Yeah, thank you so much, Joey. It really is an honor to, uh, to be on. And I'm so glad we became friends through a Northeastern hockey. It's sort of, you know, the really, it's really the connecting element that sort of uh, allowed us to become friends. So, hey, best friends and brothers since the start, right? Yeah, you know it, man. That's it. That's it. Hey, anyways, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but thank you so much, Pete. I appreciate it. You really are the GOAT. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Joey. It's a pleasure. Appreciate Thanks. it. Have a good and happy Thanksgiving, my brother. All right, you too, buddy. Have take a good care. one. Go Huskies. Bye-bye. Go Absolute pleasure having Peter Amara come on the podcast. This was his debut on the pod. Um, and honestly, this was great. It was great uh, talking to him about everything. We covered the World Cup, talked about the Bruins, talked about Northeastern hockey, uh, talked about uh, the 49ers as well, talked some football, and then obviously talked a lot about uh, his music website and talked about uh, his music podcast, which is pretty cool too, and his Facebook slides, which is great. And then also talked about uh, some of the music he does as well uh, and things he uh, covers as well and, and some of his favorite artists. And one thing we did forget, which my uncle just pointed out, the Beatles. And that's one thing me and Peter were talking about actually on Saturday at the Northeastern game. Uh, we were talking about some classic uh, music artists, which I should have mentioned Frank Sinatra when we were doing it, but the Beatles were mentioned. Uh, and so can't leave with the Beatles. You're right about that. Can't forget the Beatles. And I know that's your favorite ever, Uncle Frankie. So won't, won't, won't forget them for sure. Uh, and yeah, country music. I know not, not many people. I'm getting some text for country music. Um, it's grown on me a little. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but uh, some songs have grown on me. I'll say that. Um, but my uncle's right, though. Uh, the Beatles, legendary band, classic, uh, can never go wrong with them. So uh, he's right about that. But honestly, at the end of the day, it was great having Peter come on here. Uh, truly a pleasure. And check out everything he does, Music Box Pete. Uh, he's a website online uh, where he has every artist. He you know covers on there, has a lot of interviews um, on his Spotify. And as I said, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. But he has a lot of articles uh, on his website, so check that out. And also make sure to go vote for him as well. As I said, I've mentioned now uh, three or four times, he was nominated for the Boston Music Award for Music Publication of the Year. Make sure to go vote for him. Uh, you get one vote per email address. You get a couple email addresses and you have the time. Please make sure to vote for him at bostonmusicawards.com slash vote. Go all the way down to Music Publication of the Year and give him a vote. He's been doing this now for 13 years on his website. And now, I think it was nine years now with this podcast. Uh, and he's been doing great stuff covering hundreds and thousands of artists in the local Boston, uh, in greater Boston area, in New England in general. And he's been doing great work. He's been dedica very dedicated uh, to the field. So make sure to give him a vote uh, if you have the chance. As I said, bostonmusicawards.com slash vote. Uh, and hopefully you guys enjoyed it. It was great having him come on, talk about Thanksgiving food, talk about Northeastern hockey. The Bruins have been playing, been playing great as of late. The 49ers have been getting hot. Uh, and then also having the chance uh, to talk about the World Cup. And there's a couple of games I want to mention really quick uh, before I get off of this. Uh, I was at Saudi Arabia game, as I said, getting that win over Argentina. Probably the biggest upset. It's a major, major upset, obviously. It's probably the biggest upset in the first round, uh, in a first round game of the World Cup ever, honestly. Considering they were plus 2,500 point, uh, 20, plus 2,500 money line underdogs. If you bet $10 on Saudi Arabia to win that game, you won $250. I mean, they were heavy, heavy underdogs in this game. Argentina was up 1-0 in the first 10 minutes after a messy goal. Saudi Arabia scored two times in a five-minute window from 48 minutes to 53 minutes. Took the lead, never looked back, and it was a very physical game. Saudi Arabia, 21 fouls to Argentina, 7. Six yellow cards for Saudi Arabia to Argentina, 0. 
and they only possessed the ball for 30% of the match to Argentina, 70%. Argentina, 15 shots to Saudi Arabia's three. Argentina ended up getting the win uh, two to one, which is awesome. So congratulations to them. Obviously makes the World Cup very interesting to see what happens uh, following uh, now what happens to Argentina. Now they have to go 2-0 and and win both their next two games uh, by big point, uh, big by, by big goal leads, uh, considering now that they're down 0-1 in this group. Considering the other two teams in this group, uh, Mexico and Poland, both of them got ties today and got a point um, apiece. Since it's a point for each uh, tie, zero points for each loss and three points for each win. Saudi Arabia right now first in Group C with three points. Mexico and Poland with a point apiece. And now Saudi Arabia with that win today over Argentina gives Argentina uh, dead last in the group so far after one game. So major upset and we'll see what happens uh, in the games uh, following this one. And some other games I want to point out really quick uh, are in the MAC Football Conference. As I said, Tuesday night, Maction, last one of the year. I'll be in here for the studio for so I want to cover that really quick. 17-3 Ball State. They had another 23-yard, uh, was it 23-yard touchdown? It was 23-yard touchdown for Constance Staley. Had a 48-yard touchdown run in the first quarter. Second quarter had a 23-yard touchdown run. So 48 yards and 23 yards on the ground for him for touchdown runs. As a whole, Carson Steele, 14 carries, 124 yards, and two touchdowns with three catches of 25 yards, and we're only at the 10.07 mark of the third quarter. So great game so far for him. John Paddock, Ball State quarterback, 13-19 passing, 91 yards in a pick. As for Bowling Green, they're struggling right now. At least you know they have six wins already. They'll be bowl eligible. Uh, but they find themselves down 28-7 at half to Ohio. Uh, and Bowling Green really has had much going on offense. Matt McDonald, quarterback, has been struggling. 12 of 22 passing for 54.5% completion percentage. 188 passing yards, which looks pretty good. Then you look at the other stats. One touchdown, three picks. Uh, so not the best game for him so far. And hopefully uh, things look up for Bowling Green. As I said, I'm a fan of them. Hopefully uh, they turn that game around in the second half. But right now, find themselves down 28-7 to to Ohio at the halftime mark. And just give me one second. I want to make sure my thing finalizes recording before I close. So there's that Mac football update right there. Obviously, we talked a lot about uh, football. Obviously, I talked a lot about football, you know, for college-wise, for BC. Obviously, covered the 49ers as well. Uh, didn't go fully in-depth uh, on the Patriots. They did end up getting that win. I did mention them briefly. I was talking about the Celtics and the Clippers as well. You made basketball, BC basketball. Uh, and then also covered uh, some other things across the NFL with Sam Donald uh, and Zach Wilson. Uh, what's going on there. Obviously, Sam Donald getting the start for the Panthers this weekend, and then Zach Wilson potentially being benched uh, next week for the Jets. We'll see what happens there. But uh, I love covering everything here on sports. Honestly, the World Cup, I was never really too into uh, soccer, honestly. And then with the World Cup starting, I figured this is a big tournament. I have to cover it just like I covered the NHL draft, just like I covered the MLB draft, which there's a lot of things that you can cover in sports that you don't think you could. Like I thought, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able, going to, be able to cover the NHL draft because I don't know every single player. And then you take the time and research and look at, you know, what players are protected top 10, what players did across overseas. And it's really awesome being able to research everything, have the chance to talk about uh, everything. And I figure at the end of the day, the World Cup, such a big tournament. Bigger than the NHL draft, bigger than the MLB draft, everything else I've covered. And as I said, the NHL draft, I never would have covered probably, never really paid attention to as much as I have. Just like the Stanley Cup Finals, we never paid attention as much as I did over the summer. The World Cup probably would never, ever, would never have paid attention as much as I have now. 
But now with this platform, being able to talk sports, you have to cover the biggest things in sports. Just like over the summer, the MLB draft was big since it wasn't really going much going on, you know, much over the summer. You have to have you have to cover the biggest things, and that's why I'm happy I'm able to cover some big things in sports like the World Cup, considering it's so international with so many teams, so many countries uh, that are following it, and it brings the whole world together. Since soccer is really the biggest sport across the world, the most international sport. Even though I love football, I love baseball. That's really based on geography. Uh, football, no one else plays besides the United States. And then you look at it, baseball is really just America. And then uh, obviously as well, uh, Central America, South America. But besides that, not many countries uh, play baseball. So, And then obviously Japan plays it. Uh, but if you look at it, a lot of the time, baseball, football, it's really based on geography. And then basketball, uh, it's international, but not as big as soccer. And soccer is huge. Hockey, really it, that's international as well, but not to the same degree as soccer, obviously. So I'm happy I'm able to cover a lot of these things uh, on the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, anyways, hope you guys all have a great Thanksgiving. Hope you guys all have safe travels, safe flights to and from wherever you're going. Hope you guys are all with your families and stay healthy and stay well and enjoy yourselves. Uh, but thank you guys so much, as always, for taking the time to listen to this. I'll be back on next Tuesday night. Uh, November 29th to talk about whatever's going on in the World's Cup, probably talk a little bit about the MLB. Today, Aaron Judge was meeting with the San Francisco Giants. That's his first free agency uh, meeting, which is pretty cool, uh, seeing that now, obviously, the MLB is starting, uh, going with their free agency. Obviously, last week, uh, it opened up, and now it's starting to heat up with Aaron Judge, where every sign is going to be huge, uh, seeing where he goes. Uh, and I'll definitely cover that more across the MLB next week. And um, then one other thing with the Giants, I didn't really get to go too in-depth with the Giants. They had a tough loss uh, this past weekend uh, to the Detroit Lions. Brutal game for the Giants. Suffered a lot of injuries as well. Uh, and now with Dory Jackson's out four to six weeks with an MCL sprain. You got uh, Andrew Thomas, who's had an illness. We didn't practice today. Evan Neal's been coming back from an injury. You had Wanda Robinson tears ACL uh, on Sunday, unfortunately. The Giants still hold themselves at 7-3 on the year. But a tough, tough loss at home to the Lions this past weekend, 31-18. to But before I close, I want to talk about Daniel Jones really quick since I think a lot of people are getting back to blaming him for some things because a couple of those interceptions. No matter what Daniel Jones did in that game, the Giants probably were not winning considering Saquon Bach had 15 carries of 22 yards and no touchdowns. He had two catches of 13 yards. So Saquon Barkley as a whole had 35 yards from scrimmage on 18 or 17 touches. So we're not going to win any game where you're not getting at least 50 or 60 yards from Saquon Barkley. The Giants didn't get anywhere close to that. Daniel Jones was forced to throw 44 times, 27 completions, a 61.4% completion percentage with 341 yards, a touchdown of two picks, and a 74.1 passer rating. He also added seven carries of 50 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Uh, that was the Giants' first touchdown. But people want to come at Daniel Jones. This was not his fault at all. Giants have a lot of injuries. If you look at who his receivers are now going into next week, Darius Slayton, Richie James, and Kenny Galladay. And Isaiah Hodgins as well, who had a bad fumble. Darius Slayton is the Giants wide receiver one. Wanda Rubs had a great game, nine catches, 100 yards, no touchdowns, but had a great game. Now going into next week, Daniel Jones is number one receiver going into Dallas right now for Thursday, which is a 425 game at Dallas. Dallas obviously holds a Thanksgiving game every single year on Thanksgiving, just like the Detroit Lions. That's an NFL tradition for the Lions and the Cowboys. This is going to be a tough game for the Giants. They're currently 9.5-point underdogs to Dallas. Dallas 7-3 on the year, coming off a huge, huge win over the Vikings last week, 40-3. Uh, Dak Prescott was elite. 20, 20, 22 passing uh, completions in 25 attempts. 
276 yards and two touchdowns. And they also had 15 carries of 80 yards from Tony Pollard, 15 carries of 45 yards from Ezekiel with two touchdowns. Pollard also was great in the air, six catches, 109 yards. And then C.D. Lamb, five catches of 45 yards. Pollard also added two touchdowns on the uh, in the air uh, receiving-wise. So that could be a tough game for the Giants, considering they'll be without Dory Jackson, their number one corner, Fabian Moreau is looking like he's banged up right now as well. He missed practice today. The Giants starting cornerback going into the year, CB2, so the cornerback two position, was Aaron Robinson. He looks like he's out for the year. So the Giants are going to go into this game with a lot of injuries. Uh, and as I said, this last game this past weekend, even though Daniel Jones did throw two interceptions, one of them was a great read by Aiden Hutchinson. He just really jumped a route. The other one was an overthrow to Lawrence Cage of the Giants' big tight end. That was a bad throw by Daniel Jones. Can't really defend him too much there, but I know what he was going for there, just trying to give his tight end a big uh, his big tight end a chance to go and make a play. But we'll see what happens with the Giants. Uh, and obviously the Pages as well. They play on Thursday against the Vikings, who the Vikings come out of a bad loss to the Cowboys 40-3, where if you look at it, the Cowboys locked up Justin Jefferson. Three catches of 33 yards on five attempts. This could be a big time, a good time for the Patriots to play the Vikings. They're coming off a loss to the Cowboys, 40-3, and now they'll play the Patriots on Thursday night. That'll be Thursday night football. Uh, on NBC, though, since the Thanksgiving game, I don't think the NFL sold the Thursday Thanksgiving rights to Amazon. So this game will still be on NBC. The Vikings right now two and a half point favorites at home versus the Patriots. The Patriots coming in, winning three in a row, averaging 21.3 points per game. The Vikings... You know, similar, 22.9 points per game, which is 13th in the NFL. Patriots, 20th in the NFL in points per game. Uh, and if you look at it, the Vikings, before that loss, really had a great win streak. They won uh, seven in a row before losing this past game. Still hold themselves at 8-2 and two, uh, on the year. And 4-1 and one in the last five games. Still first in the NFC North and hold the second best record in the NFC. Right now it's the Eagles, then the Vikings, then the Niners and the Cowboys, uh, the Bucks. Uh as the four seed, they currently are the NFC South division leader. And then after that, this is based on, not records, this is based on where teams stand in the playoff standings. The Giants, Seahawks, and Cowboys are your three wild card uh, holders right now in the NFC. The best records in the NFC right now are the Eagles at 9-1, and one, Vikings at 8-2, and two, Cowboys at 7-3, and three, Giants at 7-3. and three. The Seahawks at six and four, the Niners at six and four, and the Bucks at five and five. And then the Commanders, not too far behind at six and five. They've won two games in a row, starting to get hot. Uh, they do have uh, a game this weekend against the Falcons, who are five and six on the year, and then have the Giants at New York at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey uh, in Week 13. Then have a bye week, and then play the Giants again in Week 15. So those are two big games there for the Giants. Hopefully they get some health back, but it looks like the Giants are going to be battling injuries uh, for the next few weeks, considering Dory Jackson's out four to six weeks, Wanda Robinson's out for the year. Hopefully uh, Odell Beckham Jr. makes his decision soon and comes to the Giants. But it looks like one of the Cowboys players, like Demarcus Lawrence and even Dak Prescott now, and the Cowboys Twitter is even trying to lure him into going to Dallas, just like Micah Parsons. Hopefully he doesn't see any of that, and he's trusting the Giants uh, players who I'm trusting them. They've been on air. Julian Love, uh, Darius Slayton, and Saquon and Storm Shepard have all said, and especially Saquon and Storm Shepard, they're friends with him. They were on the Giants when he was there. They all said they don't need to go to Twitter to try to get Odell on the Giants. And at the end of the day, hopefully I believe that and I trust that, and I hope he's back. Hope he's back in a Giants uniform, especially considering we could use him out there with all the injuries we have. Uh, and if you look at it, the Giants really could use another playmaker, even when guys were healthy. 
Even when Kenny Gallaudet is healthy, he's not giving you really anything on the field. Even when Wondale's healthy and Slayton's healthy, the Giants need another guy that can stretch the field and go deep. And that's what I believe Odell could bring to this offense. So we'll see what happens there. I'm sorry for the extra five uh, minutes here of the Giants run. I just wanted to mention them. But anyways, thank you guys so much. As always, for taking the time to listen to this. Shout out once again to my boy Peter Amara, Music Box. Pete is his website. Check out his podcast. Check out all his interviews on Spotify. And check out all his articles online as well. And check out his Facebook uh, Facebook Lives as well on Friday nights. He's great at what he does. And as I said a million times this episode, check him out on bostonmusicawards.com slash vote. Check out uh, that website and make sure to vote for him there. One vote per email address, as I said. Please make sure to vote for him there. It'd be great. Uh, it's such an honor for him. Uh, and he deserves the 13 years doing that website and nine years doing the podcast. He deserves it more than anyone. And thank you so much, Peter, for coming on. It was an honor having you on here to talk about uh, everything you've done in the music industry and then also uh, talk about everything in sports with you as well. I really went over everything, which was great. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen to this. My All my family members. Uh, shout out to the O'Malley family. Shout out to the Key family. Shout out to the Loftus family. Shout out to my uncle. He's listening right now as well in Indiana. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen as well, uh, for always engaging as well and texting me uh, your thoughts. It really does mean a lot on all my family as well. Thank you guys so much. And quick uh, shout out as well. Um, really quick, just want to give a few more quick shout-outs before I close. Auntie Lisa, thank you so much, as always, for taking the time to listen. Uh, you're always a consistent listener. It means a lot to me, so thank you. Uh, and the whole Mally family, shout-out Zaddy Earth as well. My godfather, Tommy, I talked about him last week uh, when I had... Uh, my friends in the studio talking about a New York trip. Uh, my godfather runs a business. It's actually right now at the Holiday Market uh, in Union Square, I believe, uh, in New York City. Uh, he's running his business right now in New York now for about a year and a half. Uh, Zaddy Earth, he has a ton of moisturizers and uh, beard oils and stuff like that uh, online. So check out his stuff uh, as well. Uh, and thank you always, Tommy, for supporting. I appreciate it. Thank you guys, as always, as I, as I always say now, probably 10 times this episode uh, for listening. Hope you guys all have a great Thanksgiving. Safe travels, everyone, uh, whether you're going just right down the street or you're flying across the country. Uh, hope everyone gets to and from safe. Hope everyone has a great uh, and, and peaceful and enjoyable Thanksgiving. Thank you guys, as always. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.